What's up everybody? So I have a special treat for you today. I have Disaster Rena and Ave Rose with me here uh, to talk about Sado Psychiatrist. It's the uh, amazingly weird, uh, very John Waters trash cinema-esque, uh, very diverse within the uh, LGBTQ community, so many different representations, and it's just an all-around like amazing show that it's so weird and so magical, and I had the honor to actually work on it, uh, do some special effects for some of the episodes, and I actually I act in episode four. Uh, we did this uh, interview a while back, right before all of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement really exploded, so we all kind of took some time off to post for that um but now i'm gonna feel like it's time to post this uh interview and also here's something it's so sado psychiatrist is available on amazon prime right now uh and if you want to support uh the artist and the art and the scene uh then definitely uh i would say watch this before Ju july 5th uh, that's coming up pretty soon, but tell your friends, tell everybody you know, because the, the first three months since the show's been out, that's what they use to decide if they're going to give it a second season or not. So if you really want to help uh, support the show and support the artists and support the people behind it, uh, then do your best to get everybody you know to watch it uh, on Amazon Prime by July 5th. So without further ado, enjoy uh, this interview where we discuss all kinds of wonderful aspects of Sado Psychiatry. I am joined with Ave Rose and Disasterina. Thank you guys so much for being here. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. <laughs> so uh, you guys do amazing things on your own. And you've you've both been a guest uh, for your individual episodes. I think Ava, you were like fifty two, I think, and then Disasterina, you are like at fifty. <laughs> What's that? I'm. <laughs> cut it out. Oh man, actually, yeah, that was. It's funny because that actually the audio cut out, so I have no idea what you just said. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Zoom's got your back. Um, so today we are going to talk about you guys coming together to make this Sado Psychiatrist. And if the viewers and if you don't know, uh, anybody that's listening to this podcast episode, you can also go to the YouTube, youtube.com slash Ransig and look at all of our beautiful faces as we have discussion because you guys look fantastic and your house looks amazing as always. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Sado Psychiatrist. <laughs> um, yeah, if you don't know, it is on Amazon Prime right now, and the first thing that you should do after listening or watching this is go watch that, binge the whole season. It's six episodes, a whole show, and if you like John Waters' trash cinema, just drag, ridiculous alternative lifestyles, you're going to fucking love the show. So go watch it. <laughs> and your pal Sig Neutron is in episode four, and I did the effects for it too. So let's get to where, where, did, uh, where did it all begin? Well, it started with a video project that I did actually like three or so years ago. I had a um, comedy channel called Coastless on Fire. It is still up there. You can go to YouTube and see it. Um, and it has a lot of early comedy videos, sort of 
predate Disasterina. Disasterina sort of came out of that channel. I started doing comedy first, and I then I started So it's a little bit different than most people. But one of the skits that I was going to do was called Sato's Psychiatrist, and I tried to film it, but at the time it didn't work out because I was the main star, the writer, the director, the set designer, everything, and I had too many hats on. You just have one really cool hat on at a time. <laughs> That we shot it and it, I tried so hard, but it did not work. So later I got um, cast on the Dragula, which is the Willie Brothers Dragula. It's sort of that reality TV show. And uh, I got some notoriety from that. And we realized after we, uh, I got on the show that we could do a pilot for that idea. And there would actually be some people who would look at it people from out TV, the people who put out Dragula in Canada, um, they, we, we knew them. So we could just um, show this to them and see if they wanted to make it an actual show on their network, which they actually did. And so they gave us some, a little bit of moolah, way more money than we have ever gotten for anything. I say it's a little bit of money and it was compared to like, I don't know, like a big movie or something, but it was a lot of money for us. Mm -hmm. And we got, which we, got we funded. poured, which we poured every single cent into the, um, into the production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, I think most people who get, um, a first project that, that they get have green lit. Um, they're like, we're going to do the best that we can with this money. Mm -hmm. and, and they'll see, um, oh, if they did that with that amount of money, what can they do later with more money? But we were like, no, 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 no. We're going to do the best that we can, regardless of what money we have. We're going to fake it till we make it. Mm -hmm. And so it actually, um, we spent way more money than we actually even received. That's true. <laughs> and we never paid ourselves. Yeah. We didn't pay ourselves. Um, you know, I, from what we hear, that seems to be typical for like low budget first run for season shows mm -hmm. is that, you know, you got to fake it till you make it. You got to just, uh, you know, get all the sets put together with scotch tape and just get it going. Um, but also, you know, we're all artists. So we found really interesting, cool ways to make it the, the whole series look fucking amazeballs. Well, the funny thing is, is that um, the actual idea of State of Psychiatrist, um, because Disasterino was thinking of doing some kind of TV show or series, and she wasn't exactly sure her, her original plan was something a lot more closer to like something more like mighty boosh mm -hmm. and um and then she put out one of those um surveys on her uh social media that was like had different choices it was like if you if i were to do a tv show what would it be and their overwhelming response was horror nice so disaster you know, it's like well, the overwhelming um, response was whore, uh, W-H-O-R-E. No. <laughs> I'm a whore. So sex or roar. Yeah, so she, um, and I'm I'm the whore queen, and so she kind of looked to me and I was married like, what? Mrs. Halloween. For those of you who listen to, to the Spuchon podcast, they know that. Um, my sisters and I, including, you know, Ranny, we were raised on horror because my mo mother is a big um, B movie horror fan. And since, since, as ever since we were children, we were watching these eighties movies 
um, horror movies. And so, you know, it was a, a great reference to. Uh oh, hold on. Oh no. I lost you guys. Oh, uh -oh. Can you hear? okay. Yeah, you guys cut out for a second. Um, okay. I'll just cut that part out. Um, but I'll just, I'll lead you back in with like a, oh, you cut out and, uh, uh, okay. Let me bring everything back up here. Okay. You guys, uh, you were talking about, um, uh, yeah, so we cut out for a second, uh, but we're back. You were talking about, uh, your mom was a huge horror fan and, um, yeah. <laughs> and that was like the, that was a good reference for, for writing the show. So Disasterina, um, we put together a pilot, um, and uh, and then we sent the pilot over to Out TV. And the pilot was the idea that I had before because we already had something horror and a horror idea for a show that we could have done. So that was so we re I resurrected the idea because people seemed to be interested in horror because of the Dracula. Mm -hmm. So, and then uh, what happened when you sent out the pilot? Well, not much. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was very timid about it. I'm not very good at being you know, like, you know, a pushy producer and like, you know, watch my thing, you know, and mm -hmm. at handing and all that stuff. So uh, nothing much happened. And I got really discouraged. And I was going to get a uh, Indiegogo go together to make uh, raise money to do it myself. And I thought, oh, well, I'll try one more thing. And then there was, I had my contact at OutTV and um, I threatened. <laughs> no, don't put that in there. <laughs> okay, I can't say that. I didn't <laughs> threaten anyone. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, cajoled my way into. Uh, you know, he just, she, she just double checked. I mean, she didn't double check. Like, she just sent it out and didn't hear anything. Yeah. And then she a lot more persistence like, I followed I'm sure, up. I you know followed she's up. following up on it mm -hmm. so. uh, but a lot of people may or may not know is that as we were so the original cast from the pilot was was excellent um, um however I kind of felt like we both kind of felt like you know this needs to be a, a more diverse cast mm -hmm. and so from the get-go not just not just as far as the actors but as far as the cast the crew everyone working on it we wanted it to be um as diverse as we could mm -hmm. as, as we have um of course you know based on people's talents but um just giving everybody the opportunity that we could that oh no <laughs> uh oh lost you guys again I don't know. Is it Zoom? I've never had that happen before. That's weird. You th is it because should I not be on Wi-Fi? Um, Wi-Fi is. Yeah, I feel like that would that makes it stronger, right? Unless you guys' internet's cutting out or something. Um. Oh, you there? Cutting out again. Oh, lost you guys again. Oh no. Dude, let's put it on. Oh. Give us one second. Okay, you guys yeah. are back. Yeah. Uh, let me, just... Oh. Hmm. Is there a way we can prevent it? Um. If it happens one more time, we'll. If it happens one more time, we'll see if it, if it's better on um the network. Okay. Then on. Yeah, that might be something we can do. Okay. 
Yeah, let me just take a note so I can uh, easily edit that out. Uh, okay, so what were we saying? Uh, oh, I was saying that um, even though the, the cast that we had was super excellent, um, I realized it was um, mainly, almost actually the entire cast was all white men. White dudes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got to do something about this. I think we got to do something about this. And not, not that they weren't, you know, talented, but it's, it's not the... We want to take an active role in in trying to um, show that you know there's not only just white males that are talented in this world. Yeah. I, so. Yeah, representation is is really important now more than ever, and and you guys float in such a wonderfully diverse. Um, oh my gosh, it just popped out again. Now. Oh, you there? Where is it? Uh, Zoom. Got to go to Zoom, which I don't know where Zoom is. I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, we we just oh, there it is. Yeah, we just changed it to see if that will help. Yeah, we put we went on network instead of uh, Wi-Fi. Okay. Just cool. a lot in the house. Okay. Well, let's try that again. Let me make sure everything's still good here. Um. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So representation is really important because you guys uh, float in such a diverse, amazing, like just a diverse, like queer community. And there's like all kinds of like just different. Um, there's there's so much that I think is not shown by things like uh, dra like RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff, and it, that's really amazing that like drag is going mainstream and stuff. But there there is such a broad queer community that it's like so underrepresented, and I think it's really great that you guys are you have so much so much different of of that in the show. Thank you, and we want to show that you know these uh, these drag performers and drag artists. Um, they, they're not just good for being in, in a reality show playing themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of their, um, what they do is is acting. They're actors, mm -hmm. right? So why aren't they getting more acting jobs? And I think, you know, you know, you talk about uh, TV industry, movie industry, whatever, you know, queer people are very underrepresented. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, our show is is great for that. I think it will promote um, queer culture, queer people, queer technicians, queer camera people, queer everything, queer actors. Yeah. And uh, a positive thing about our show. Yeah, and also to say, you know, oh, if you have a bunch of guys playing women, why can't we have a women playing guys? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Have them be lead and not like a token. Yeah, one of our main stars is uh, Clint Eastwood, who is a drag king. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that this person is, um, they are AFAB, which is assigned female at birth for people who don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And um, just was absolutely perfect for the role. We did a My Drag is Valid for those of you guys who don't know. We also have a TV show on YouTube called My Drag is Valid, where we interview drag kings, queens, and everything in between. And we everything in betweens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh. we had clits on the show and disaster and I was like you know I think this person will be might be good for for this one part let's have them mm -hmm. audition and which of course that was the beginning that was 
the beginning of, of a beautiful, beautiful relationship because now I can't yes. imagine anyone else playing I that know. part. Oh, I yeah. mean, once people see the show, people are, are, are going to be so endeared with Cliff Eatswood and the character that uh, he plays is uh, Iggy, the metrosexual hunchback. And uh, this character is the henchman, the classic henchman, um, and is just so freaking adorable <laughs> that people are just going to fall in love with thanks to six prosthetics <laughs> yeah it does. yeah i uh i d developed a relationship quickly with uh clit because he i had to see him every day on set <laughs> what was that because you had no choice uh, yeah. Can you tell, um a little bit about uh creating the look of um of clit of uh, not clit sorry iggy, iggy. Yeah, uh, maybe I can even pull up some photos of uh, this stuff right when I put this together. But um, yeah, so the original look, uh, I had sculpted like a full face prosthetic and it was really like asymmetrical and like blah and and uh, and and then I sent that off to you and you're like, eh, it's something a little bit more reserved. So then I ended up whittling it all the way down to just a nose and a forehead. And like, I'm so glad I did because it allowed more of Clit's personality to shine through and mm -hmm. it's just yeah like the the makeup with the performance is just it's such an, an endearing character like iggy's one of my favorites out of the whole show i mean everybody's amazing but it's just something so endearing about iggy well iggy is handsome and grotesque <laughs> equal amounts uh -huh. pretty amazing the way you created that um i mean uh it's it's a perfect dual situation just like you know at one moment you're you know, your coil and horror, and the next you're just like this dashing young man. <laughs> no, them. Well, that's weird because we, it, it's a testament to um, your your makeup effects as well as Clint's acting skills because uh, we wrote this character to be physically appalling and, and then also to, to, to be super annoying. And yet, what was unexpected was that it would become a character that was a bit endearing and actually charming. And right. that I think was that the combination of both of you guys together is somehow because Clit's actually a very good looking person. And so as hideous as you're making them, it was still their personality mm -hmm. and their, and their nice features were kind of melting into this weird dualism between somebody who's like full of themselves and, you know, and then actually physically deformed yet, somehow you sometimes you feel sorry for them or root for them it's interesting yeah and then that's my favorite oh sorry I, let me uh interrupt with just an idea we should get to like the premise of the show mm -hmm. it's your thought and i think it's like for people out there who don't know what we're talking about i was like what is say just like that's a good point yeah uh, yeah, so I was just it, that's my the thing that I love about makeup is that it you never know how it's going to come to life when you put it's like I'm making a sculpture that's 2D on a stone face and when it comes to life on a person that's just it's so magical and it's so like amazing and somebody always brings an element of them into the makeup like Freddy Krueger is so iconic because Robert England shows through the makeup you know and anytime to pull off a good makeup is you work with the face of your actor uh, or actress and um, yeah and then it, yeah it, it was this perfect storm that created Iggy <laughs> and, uh, like, that's so cool that like Iggy wasn't even wrote that way oh before we I knew we, I still want to be on the um, Iggy's makeup because we have to talk about the mole oh and yeah 
Jake, tell us about your idea. So, well, I was inspired by uh, the Robin Hood men in tights. There's that character that their mole is always moving around. And I just thought that was so fucking funny. It was so simple, but it was just like so funny. And I felt like it was really trashy and appropriate to just like have it uh, like just the continuity of the mole is like completely gone. So if you watch the show, it's always in many different spots. <laughs> and it's so funny because I didn't even realize that because it's so well done that, you know, you guys talked about it and I had no idea it was happening. And then when I was watching the cuts, I was like, wait a second. I thought it was like an inconsistency for a second. I was like, wait a second, look at that scene and that scene. Did you freaking know this? And, and Disaster is like, yo, we, this is on purpose. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Out of all the dates filming for like two months, I had no idea. I didn't even know. The whole time, like watching it. It's so funny. <laughs> it looks so natural. It really, it's so cool. Like it doesn't look like, you don't look at this and say, oh, this person has really good prosthetics. It feels like an actual character, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, it feels very natural. I can't. You know, it's funny. I see Clit sometimes without the makeup, and I'm like, who are you? <laughs> what did happen to you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, sorry. There's, like, a weird ha- thing happening. It's like if I talk, then, like, it immediately cuts your guys' audio for some reason. So uh, I'm trying my best not to talk over you guys. And then if, if you hear me talk, let's try to, like, because for some reason on my end, it's like, I guess it's a Zoom feature. I don't know. But let's try to... Uh, Try to not, I'll try not to, yeah. Um, cool, okay. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'll cut that part out. Um, and I probably won't be using Zoom for any more of these, but anyways. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so let's jump back now and let's talk about the premise of Sadopsychiatrist because we're talking about the story. What are we talking about? So lay it on us. Well, Sadopsychiatrist is based on Dr. Sado, who is a psychiatrist, but uh, also a, um, a, uh, an evil drag queen. Uh, mer- we, don't, we don't say that that's a I'm person not- is a drag queen. Ever. Where's the log line? Okay, listen. <laughs> Sado Psychiatrist is based on the, the, uh, a therapist, a murdering psychotherapist, sure, dominatrix. Who has a bumbling, fumbling uh, crew uh, to help her with her evil deeds? Um, and it's comedy, so it's a horror campy comedy, and um, partially inspired by um, Hannibal, the show Hannibal, who's a, also a murdering therapist, um, but, but also, funnier. but also inspired by you know shows like The Mighty Boosh, um, Tim and Eric's awesome show. There's a little hint of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, so it's trash cinema. It's very influenced also by John Waters and all that uh, he has done. Uh, it's very loud. It's just, uh, it's outrageous. It's um, it's in your face and it's ridiculous and uh, it's wonderful. Yeah. And we do on purpose, we don't say that this is a drag thing. So it's just like, you know, it's ambiguous. You know, you don't know if this is actually... This is an actor playing a woman, which mm-hmm. is a drag queen. But you don't know if they're actually a drag queen until the the, the, the grand finale where um, Bitch Pudding plays the character Temptress. And she she kind of says something like, oh, no, she does have a dick. Kind of making, you know, going along with everybody's like curiosity. I like uh, that. A manly looking woman. <laughs> like <this. laughs> <How do you? laughs> and uh, Dr. Sado 
gets all of her clients by putting advertisements in smutty magazines. So the people who walk through the door and are just these deviants. And um, this, and because they are all very secretive in every way, uh, she knows that nobody's going to miss these people. So the perfect murder victims. And they're too embarrassed to tell anybody where they're going. So she has the uh, perfect way to have her, her fun torturing, murdering people. And also it leaves that uh, the idea that, you know, maybe she's, you don't know if she's murdering somebody who's not that anybody deserves to be murdered, but just to keep things lighthearted, um, none of these characters are, are innocent. None of these characters are, are, the, are the heroes or the wonderful people or the good-hearted people that you like want to side with. You kind of have to pick and choose between all the degenerates. Um, that's that's storyline <laughs> yeah i i love that because it's like uh that's what i was doing with the sig neutron sleazy universe is i like to tell stories based on like the darker side of humanity you know it's like the, all these like weird like fetishy like gro- like all the stuff that nobody really wants to talk about but it's like it, we're all like freaks and weirdos in some aspect you know mm-hmm. I, I... oh oh god sorry Oh, okay. <laughs> um, just talking about uh, start. We should we should go into the beginning, beginning though, because um, we found out at Comic Con last year. So Comic Con, so July of 2019 is when we found out that we are approved for the budget that we asked for, and then um, but we were asked to um, submit the script for six episodes. Um, by August 30th and then have the entire thing filmed by November 30th and so right when we got back from Comic-Con we completely dropped everything and sat there writing all the episodes adding to we had to add to the pilot because it wasn't long enough and um, that was really fun we kept going over to year we had this routine where we would um, we got this like deal at this uh time massage place next to our house where if we like bought a whole bunch of massages at once it would be like pretty much like half off and it was like i don't know like 40 dollars for an hour massage or something and so we bought like a whole bunch of heads so we would go in and get a massage and then we'd go swimming at sig and granny's place and then we'd like we felt like real producers <laughs> it's like you know it's like get a massage go to you know the knee shaped <laughs> pool sip some uh, some soda water or something and talk about our TV show. Yeah, we write because we use them. We use the massage to clear our minds and we use the pool to talk about what we wrote about before and bounce off. Like, did you like what I write, wrote? Because we pretty much, except for the, 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 the total pilot part, we equally, both equally wrote this show together. Right. And, um, you know, we, uh, but it hits a little bit, but for the most part, we had a very similar sort of like uh, comedic style and I listen to and I watch the shows now and I can't tell who did what line. I remember what I wrote and I remember what he wrote because like there's so many things where I'm like is this gonna work and it's funny too because sometimes I'll watch something and I'll go oh man that 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 line you wrote is so good and he's like I wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just I'm stupid. No <laughs> but um so the game plan with the episodes uh was that We've learned time and time again that um, no matter how good a new idea is, if it's too new, 
uh, it's not going to take off. It's confusing to people. It's confusing to people. And maybe no way later, after the artist is dead or the show's like 10 years old, people, because other things that come out, come up similar that are like, people have a reference to, to compare it to. People go, oh God, that was genius. Mm -hmm. People didn't realize that was so good. And we did not want, we don't want to be these revolutionaries that aren't discovered or appreciated until way past our time. Like we repeat, we because refuse I'm already to past my time. I'm already past my pride. So <laughs> I'm in decline. No, you're not. Not. Um, so we decided to use our references from uh, cult 80s horror movies as a basis to write these episodes. Mm -hmm. And every episode is based on a different horror theme. Nice. I, I think that's a really important uh it's really important to note is because like if you're an artist and you're trying to succeed, you have to make what you do relatable. Like if if it doesn't if it doesn't resonate with people on some level, then it's not it's, people aren't going to get it, you know. So yeah, so it's it's great that you guys had like had that moment and thought about that. Thank you. Well, we decided like okay, this is the first thing that people the majority of the world might see of us, and if they don't get it, then we'll never get a second chance. But maybe if we kind of like spoon feed them little bit of what we can actually offer later and they get used to our sense of humor then mm -hmm. later we can surprise them with something that's completely original right mm -hmm. which was, is what we actually would love to do um but, although what also what kind of played out though is that we relied heavily on these influences to do our script but we ended up we actually even used many of the lines that were in the other things but it's so coming from such a different weird perspective that I think a lot of people can't tell. I mean, it's blatant to me that episode three is is based on a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, so that's, fucking obvious, but why don't people get that? That's the thing that kind of like, we were so worried because we're like, we're trying to ride that fine line. And we were like, okay, we want this to be based on this so that people can get it. And we're, we were inspired by, by these episodes, but we were like, oh, we don't want to be completely ripping it off. We don't want it to be like a remake. And so we were trying to, to, we were almost worried that we were like copying too much. We actually took specific lines from things. And I just can't believe it. I have a friend who, um, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> I have a friend who's like all about like 80s horror movies and all these obscure things. And I could not wait for them to see. And I'm like, you get these references. And they got these really, the really obscure ones, like the brain that wouldn't die and certain things. Um, and they even mentioned things I'd have never heard of. But I'm like, Oh, I looked it up. I'm like, I guess that could be it. But they didn't catch the child's play episode five, which is uh, beyond. I mean, um, the insatiable inflatable. Oh, yeah. Let's go through the episodes. Okay. okay should we do that? Yeah, can sure. We just say episodes and what it was. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Do that. That'll be okay. Fun. Episode one is the only one that is not based on an episode because that was the pilot and that just sort of came from the ether. But, but we did throw in some bones because even though that wasn't specifically about anything, it does, it, when you think about it, Dr. Sato and his hunchback henchman, that is like a Dr. Frankenstein, right? Mm -hmm. He has, and, and there's an actually a, a part where, you know, we, they electrocute um, they, the patients and with the henchman yes, helping it's, out. It's classic. It's very classic school, Hollywood. Uh, yes. And, um, and then there's a reference where we threw in, which is a really, tiny little easter egg mm -hmm. and we were hoping that some people on reddit would nancy drew this but they haven't figured it out yet so i guess we'll throw them a bone but we do mention hobbling and hobbling is from misery mm -hmm. 
So Bitch Pudding comes out. He's uh, Dr. Sato says, you know, can you bring, you know, I want to make sure this person, this patient doesn't run away. Bring, bring me something. And Temptress, played by Bitch Pudding, brings in a sledgehammer. And Dr. Sato's like, oh, no, 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 no. I meant like chains. And she says, yeah. It says, uh, she says, you know, oh, but uh, this is what you used on uh, Mr. Sheldon last week. So these little bitty things from all these like famous horror movies that are sprinkled in there. Yeah. And um, we are going to shower affection on anybody who comes to us and says, oh, I got that reference. We got a lot of people watching the show, but we're not getting a lot of people watching, uh, coming up with these references. Yeah, we're so surprised. And so episode two, that one's the most obvious. So everyone gets that one. That one is called <clears throat> How's Your Head? No, that that episode one is not called House. I'm talking about episode two right now. Oh, okay. Sorry. Episode two is the most obvious, and it's called House for Head. And it's about um, the henchman, Iggy, who, uh, the hunchback, the metrosexual hunchback, accidentally decapitates a jogger, and it falls in love with the head, and then ends up keeping the head as this lover slash pet in a medical contraption. And that's, it becomes a recurring character like Jombie in the cabinet on Pee Wee's Playhouse. So you open a cabinet and you have this talking head. And so... It's um, based on the movie, uh, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, which is, I think, 1962, 1961 horror film, Black and White. We, Very uh, low-budget trashy. You know, yeah, we even have, we even recreate the entire stripper fight scene that from that movie. A lot of people get that one. And episode three is called Nightmare on Hollywood Boulevard. And that one is based on Nightmare on Elm Street. The character... Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. That's the one, Dream Warriors. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream, Dream Warriors. And um, I was so surprised that my friend didn't get that. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like the whole... We talk about a, a boogeyman that, ta- that can kill people in their dreams, whose name is... Frida Cahill. Frida Cahill instead of Freddy Krueger. Um, although we did tell <laughs> Abora <laughs> to have crazy nails and she just wore a glove, but I was like, that's actually perfect because Freddy Krueger had one glove. So it, it made it even more obscure, but I was like, oh, people will get it. But then people didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that whole episode was about guiding these, these teenagers who are in a mental ward through their dreams to try to overcome Freddy Krueger. And people haven't gotten it yet, but maybe not enough people have watched it right. to kind of spread the love. And the big star of that uh, episode is uh, Fagenstein and Abora. Yeah, Fagenstein and Abora. I like that episode a lot. They do get out. Oh my gosh. So I think this will be a way to do it. We can talk through the um, <clears throat> episodes, but then anytime like that it, it involves you, it'd be mm-hmm. good for you to So like, tell us about making the, um, the slashes for Mark Sidermi on episode three. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that was fun. Uh, yeah, you had the the little the the gore gag there that I had to do the slashes on the the stomach. Um, I just used uh, a mix of collodion and a skin illustrator palette to kind of like go in there, and uh, you know you do a lot of effects with cutting with cameras and stuff. It's it's. I think as an effects artist, you got to know how things are going to be shot as well, because if you don't understand how someone can pull off an effect, like you're, you know, it's it just the understanding of cinematography really helps when it comes to effects. Um, and then also I did uh, the demon makeup on Rani when she pops up. And um, that was, 
That was really fun. That was actually another, I think you guys came to me like relatively close to the, uh, to the day or like you were like, do you have anything for this? And I just, I pulled out the Shebop uh, and rock sexy face. I sculpted for, it was like the, for supposed to be a Rhino Ninja Turtles thing, but then I repainted it all red and uh, I think it worked really well. Yeah, that yeah, was it really, really good. That was great. We were totally impressed by everything. Well, everything you did on the show, we were impressed with. But, um, uh, you know, what I think, Sig, you're best at is just creating a completely new identity, a new person, a new monster, whatever, a, a thing uh, that's never existed before. And that seems like super easy for you to do. You just whip it together. And, uh, you know, having Ranny, we wanted uh, Ranny because this was the queen of the damned and you made Ranny look exactly like what a queen of the damned would look like and Ranny of course killed it killed it and fulfilled that so easily as well as like a very believable queen of the damned was the other uh, ring side coach for the evil uh, Frida Cahill that's oh. when we were gonna have Ranny in this as like um, more than just like a side character. <laughs> well, a, a fun story of that is when she was trying to figure out her voice of that character, uh, she actually went back to when she was like channeling spirits in New Orleans and one of those, like the way that she was talking back then, she used that as the basis on how she talked to the character. So it made it even more like kind of dark and mysterious. Yeah, I, no one love, would ever I love that it. accent that Randy had on that character. And you don't expect it to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was really cool because it was ultra feminine, but still super dark. Uh, that was really great. Um, what I really liked about your black, way of doing magic, it. Lost your black, magic touch. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I also like about your, your way of approaching the FX on the show was that realizing how less is so much more. Like with, so in part of the um, episode three, the Frida K hole slashes makes a, a Pentagram, uh, pentagram, a pentagram, upside pentagram on um, Frankenstein. Who he says the famous Freddy Krueger line, which is, um, um, "You want to be on prime time, bitch? I'm going to make you a star." And we thought, "Oh, this would be funny." And then he makes him a star, scratches a star into, a, you know, slices a star into his stomach. And we were thinking you, you were going to make this whole skin prosthetic with like slices in it. And you're like, "I don't know if I really need to do that." And I was just like. Kind of freaking out about it i was like thinking oh is it just gonna look like this like painted on stuff somehow it's just you you, you literally did just paint on stuff but it looks so real like do you want to tell us about that so crazy yeah sure it's i mean you can do a lot like when it comes to gore stuff you could do a lot with uh highlight and shadow basically it's like uh painting like a 2d painting you just you add start adding your sh- highlights and your shadow and on film you, you really can't tell the difference like i've done a lot of things a lot of wounds i usually never even make prosthetics for wounds i just like uh just highlight and shadow and and a little blood and boom there you go oh excellent you did such a great job thanks uh, so then we move on to from episode three to episode four um which is sig's uh episode so in episode four is um, called. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, it's it's called. Uh, Walking Alien. Walking Alien. I'm sorry. So that one actually does not specifically reference a horror movie, but just the old time horror uh, theme, which is sci- you know, science fiction, aliens coming in. 
And so we didn't, we didn't feel like we had to reference a specific movie because that's just such a big horror thing is to have to talk about aliens, but more in a, um, in like a, it's kind of like a weird. It's sort of like, I guess it's, it sort of comes from the sort of alien abduction sort of folktale type culture where it's like, you know, the greys and um, people being abducted by flying saucers and stuff like that. And there are people out there who call themselves walking aliens and uh, or walk-ins and they feel that they are inhabited by an alien somehow in their body. And so um, this sort of plays on that sort of sort of like the UF more the UFO culture really than than and sort of like that you know the grays and the UFOs. But it's also like um, a commentary on on people who are um, not a hundred percent comfortable with um, finding out their own sexuality. That's true. I and mean, so when so Disasterina actually wrote this the premise from this a long time ago on a skit that starred Sig as as the one of the characters in Sig and Lena Lark as the two main characters. And it was based on these two, uh, this couple that, that were both in the closet, um, homosexual. And so, um, but one specifically thinking that he was abducted by an alien by having a, a, a homosexual experience that made him feel like a whole different person. Mm -hmm. Um, but still at the same time, not identifying with being homosexual at all. That's right. You know, the, the, uh, there are characters' names, uh, Gary and Gail Gray, and they really do kind of personify feelings of alienation. I mean, they don't feel comfortable in their own bodies. Um, and they uh, feel like, uh, you know, in particular, Gary feels like something is wrong. Gary is inhabited by another something. And this... Obviously, this other something is just this this, this hidden sexuality. So, but um, whenever the the alien takes over his body or communicates with him, he feels elated. He mm -hmm. feels more himself. Right. And it, but that's like a that's just a commentary on people who are um, just because of society telling them that it's so wrong, or they just are afraid, so afraid to be it. And these characters aren't standard. They're not self. They're not self hate. Like they, there's no way indicating that they are against homosexuality. We're not saying that Gail, um, who is a lesbian, or or Gary, who is um, you know, is is a gay man, are against gay, you know, being gay. No, but I think they you don't know, hate it. But, but they the, just. But in this in the society, even though, you know, different sexualities are more accepted than they used to be, there's still sort of like all the stigma associated with them, and it's it's not easy as a, uh, a homosexual to just all of a sudden just proclaim proclaim this to the world is sort of like family to think about social you know uh, con constructs that they you know are put up there so it's not easy so it's sort of I think this is a, a, a way to show that people sort of somehow still sort of try to go toward that that thing that's within them yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's a it's an amazing way to we stories are so important because we explore who we are in safer ways through characters and stories. And there are so many more uh, sexual orientations now that like we're us as a society are starting to understand that sexuality is much bigger than just a black and white. It's there. There are so many, it's a spectrum, you know, there is, it's like, I don't think that 
in, in my opinion, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there is necessarily such a thing as straight and gay. I think it's it's you're more you're more into this or you're more into that. And then in certain situations, you might be into this, you know, like and I think if, if a lot more people were more honest with themselves and, and open about if they didn't have to feel so like in one box or the other, I think we're really going to progress as a society because we put. I understand as as this moves forward is why labels are important because like people are defining things to find their tribe and things. But obviously, we want to move towards a society where there is, we're trying to label how to love people, and that and love is so indefinable that we're going to run into issues. You know, right? Um, so in that episode, we we do have the reference. The major reference is to a Barbarella. So. The, the climax yeah. of the episode is um, Disasterina convinces, or not Disasterina, sorry, Dr. Sato convinces the character Gary to get into this machine that is called. We call it the enormous machine. And it's sort of a, it is a, a flip of, uh, there's a great scene at Barbarella, which is a, a movie from, I think, 1967. It stars Jane Fonda. And um, there's a scene where this evil, um, um, I guess it's an evil doctor, um, uh, puts Jane into this thing. It's, I always forget the name of the machine on, on the movie, the original thing, but, um, it's, Is it, isn't it's, it called orgasmo? No, no, it's not, it's, it's not the orgasmic machine. It has, I, I called it enormous machine because it alludes to, to the original. I can't remember, but anyway, it is a giant machine that is uh, its purpose is to kill people with an orgasm. So it just like, you know, Jane gets in there Barbarella gets in there and Barbarella she breaks gets in it. The, and she breaks the machine. So this is sort of like uh, G- Gary has a similar situation with, and the scene is just totally hilarious. There's a lot of physical comedy in it. And say you just uh, I, I, you just make that whole episode and that scene is just uh, uh, it's just brilliant. For those who watch this scene, keep in mind that all the physical comedy. So when we wrote this script, we just write that he gets into the machine. Gary gets into the machine and it goes on from there. But the way that was played out, which you guys just naturally kind of, I don't know, did you guys discuss this? I don't think you did. I think it just naturally happened. (laughs) Um, I don't want to give away too much, but you guys have to watch this episode and you guys have to watch this scene and realize that this was a a naturally occurring, um, that not planned out uh, instance Mm -hmm. of how he gets into this machine. And it's uh, the cast the crew, I mean, you know, me and the director standing there and the PAs and the cameraman and the sound guy, we almost ruined the shot because we couldn't stop laughing. We were holding our mouths shut because we were dying. And the, the pro- I made the prop. I made the enormous machine. I actually made it the night before. Together we did. We made it together. That's true. I'm sorry. I didn't even take 100% <laughs> of the credit. But uh he made up. the actual machine, the the, the full on the box. the box that he goes into, and then I I put on, and and made le- little electronic lights, the electronic stuff. lights and everything. So I did. So it's true. He made the machine. I made the controller. But it's just a. It's a very. It's kind of a simple prop, and it's just. A, it's you know. It doesn't compare obviously to the one in Barbarella, but you made that thing, Sig feel like a real machine <laughs> yeah. like all your movements and all your noises and everything you were doing was just it was so hilarious you made that you made that the enormous machine way bigger than it 
it was. Oh, well, thanks. It's like, well, so that's the funny part is that I love being a character and it's like, I don't really, I haven't up until that point, like I haven't gotten many opportunities to act in anything. So it's like when I was there, like I, I liked, I was like, yeah, we didn't talk about it. And I was like, I'm just going to go for this and I'm going to see what he does. And, and it, that's like, you know, that to me, that's like, that's raw. And that's, that's, and it, you're such good at being a character too, that it's like, you just went with it. And it was like, so, so magical because it was spontaneous. And I think that's where like really funny improv like stuff happens. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was interesting because uh, we, we had the, um, the scene where you go back in time where you're at a porno shop and we want to thank the fault line bar Oops, sorry my leg cramps <laughs> for letting us film there and ruby de fresno who um is just a, a genuine amazing person who let us film there and um encouraged encouraged our production it was just a smooth process but we just took this one room and we just had a bunch of grid walls and we just took our bondage equipment from home and we just put them up on the walls and we went oh here's a funny backstory um we we did not realize that the circus of books was closed down which is a famous hugely famous porn shop in, in west hollywood mm. we're like what are you gonna say oh no, no i was just, just screen yeah and so we were like, and there's actually a um, documentary now on a circus called Circus of Books that you can get. It's yeah, watch great. it; it's amazing. But we were like, let's go to Circus of Books and buy a bunch of uh, gay porn so we could like stick, stick this up on the grid walls. And we went there, and it was closed and had closed like a year ago or something permanently. And we were like, no! And then there was a porn shop like a couple of doors down that had um, a bunch of like VHS tapes and stuff that we were able to buy for like a dollar. <laughs> yeah, so we bought like this mountain of porn for like $20 and that is like the, the props that are in there. So. We put them in plastic baggies and then like hung them up on these grid walls along with like bond our bondage things. And then we put like a male mannequin with like our like a bondage stuff on it. And if you guys go and look at that scene, it's really- And it stars Meatball. And it's, oh yeah, so we should talk about Meatball a little bit. Mm -hmm. So so we, um, well, maybe that goes into episode five too, because Meatball was supposed to yeah, be Yeah, we could, we could lead five. into the, that. Okay, well, well, Meatball is in this episode because um, she was in a, uh, was it a scooter accident or a, a bike accident? Uh, like a, some car. She got into a, a, an accident. She was actually had to go to the hospital. So the day that we were going to film that, uh, she couldn't come, so we had to scramble at the last moment. The night before, we had to try to get an actor, and we the were the night able to before, get... and we felt so bad because the thing is, is that it really broke our hearts not to have Meatball. We actually wrote the part for Meatball, um, and Meatball is an amazing actor. Uh, but the thing with productions, a lot of people not may not realize this, is that people are already booked. Yeah, and you can't just easily cancel. We something. can't just cancel it. Or we can, but guess what? It'll cost us. It cost us about four thousand dollars a day to shoot. So um, we can't just give up four four thousand mm -hmm. dollars. And uh, we have people who this whole thing was this schedule was very meticulously made based on people's availability. So it's not like we could just say, yeah, maybe we have the the, the cameraman and the the director and stuff for that day, 
and people think it might be easy to just why don't you just do another scene or something well those actors aren't available mm-hmm. and also it's like you know especially with something like you know with uh, clit and, and icky is like you know putting getting iggy ready takes hours so you can't just say oh okay we'll do an iggy scene today no we can't because first of all sig not available or you know uh we don't have the set ready or it's a different set or something yeah and we and we were paying everybody but it's not like we we're paying them top dollars so, so so people still have their regular day jobs so it's not like we can say oh yeah come on into this thing we, we're gonna shoot a whole different scene and like leave your job mm-hmm so it wasn't that it, it, you know, we didn't take it lightly at all to have to recast Meatball for this. It really, really broke our hearts. Yeah. And I hope that he knows that. Um, but he did great in this one scene mm-hmm. as uh, the Sleazy Man, which is the, the name of the character Sleazy Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just, I, I don't even want to go into explaining it. You just have to No, see you it. have to see that. You just have to see it for yourself. Definitely. So, uh, oh, you want to say something sick? Oh, as uh, yeah, to wrap up uh, the, the Gary Gray, it's funny because there's this, there's actually the so the first time I played that character uh, was a long time ago, and like I wasn't like spiritual, I wasn't into the occult, I wasn't into like all of these like alien theories, and then now when it comes around again and and a plant like his story arc is like really similar to like me now, like in a sense of like he's like. He, there's like I don't even know if you guys know about it but there's this whole sect they call it like the starseed community where it's like it's where spirituality and extraterrestrials overlap mm-hmm. and and he he's like that's that's like his arc he's like the, this weird spiritual alien kind of guy and then and, and it's it's just funny I'm like oh my god that's hilarious that like because he's into crystals and now I have like a mojo pouch I carry around rocks and crystals with me and it's just like I'm like the actually the the necklace that I'm wearing is like only one of them was a prop the, the other ones are like all of my stones that I wear own crystals <laughs> yeah actually we talk before we move on we should talk about uh, Lena Lark so Lena Lark plays. Um, was the uh, Sig's co-star in episode four, and Sig is taught, alluding to doing this in the past. And I, it was my uh, comedy channel, Coastlights on Fire. One of the first skits we did uh, was called uh, "The Walking Alien" and the soccer mom, and the shrill soccer mom. And Sig plays the walking alien, which became Gary Gray on the on our uh, psychiatrist. But uh, Lena Lark was the original actress who played uh, Gail Gray. And um, there were a couple of skits with uh, with Lena. Yeah, there's this great scene that we did in a liquor store. Uh, well, the setup that we created as a liquor store. And um, she's talking to this woman who has samples of crackers. And she's uh, kind of, she doesn't do this, you know, it's not stated where she knows she's doing this or not but you can tell she's so much nicer to females than she are, is to males this character lena and um she's almost this evil wicked witch when it comes to other other men and then as soon as another woman comes in to play and she's it, so much nicer you know it's funny it's just that like a sample lady at a, at a at a store and she assumes that this this woman is hitting on her so she does all <laughs> these like really sexually suggestive things with the, the cracker which, which is, is total left right <laughs> which is so weird and it was interesting because um lena the actress took it upon herself to take these crackers and um put them on her tongue and and uh 
it's so ridiculous. So and chew on it, chew on it in front of her, like we, like the, the a dry cracker, the most unsexual thing you could ever <laughs> think of to, to flirt with somebody. Um, so that was just a great moment. Uh, it's ama- I love that moment. That was so funny. Like it's <laughs> she. She is such a good, like a tour de force. I would say she is uh, amazing and such a fun character to uh, in person to just like play those polar opposites with uh, i had so much fun acting with her it was great and it's like when we did the short back then i was like man i just need to know more about these people and then when we did the episode i was like now i want to know even more about these people <laughs> <laughs> well you know sig um we're crossing our fingers uh about season two i really hope it happens because there's going to be uh, a crazy, crazy uh, ep- uh, episode with you and Lena Lark in season two, where the story's continued. So I can't wait. Yeah, and you, you you'll be part of the writing aspect of that because I know that you have a great idea for that. Yeah, I we got don't it. want it's just yet. Yeah, but spread the word for this show so we can get season two, so you can see more. Everybody the watching season. this, right? <laughs> you know, it's not for sure that we're going to get a second season. So you need to promote it. You need to watch it. You need to love on us and promote everybody and do it now. Yeah. That's <laughs> a really important note I want to make is that, uh, you know, we're all like, we're all people that are really trying really hard to bring our visions to life. And, and it's a lot of hard work and it's tough. And, you, the viewer, have set, you hold all the power to to helping us like continue our dream. Because if something resonates, even if you just share it, even if you just tell somebody about it, show somebody, like you are doing such a powerful thing in like helping people live their dreams. And it's like, and you, and it's like you don't even, it's you don't even have to spend money, you know, just word of mouth or spreading the word is such a powerful and an appreciate, very appreciated thing. So. Uh, if you guys do watch it, please like uh, add a review because that's really important. Uh, that helps things get seen. So drop those like I don't know if it's five stars. Drop some five stars in there. Write about it uh, on Amazon so that helps as well. So on to episode five. So episode five it's is called I, this one. I know I'm, when I don't know something, it's just because I'm stupid. It's not because I'm uninformed. Uh, episode five is called Insatiable Inflatable. And it is about a man who comes into the Dr. Sato's office. But it's based on... Oh, yeah. It's based on Child's Play. So Child's Play, the horror movie from the 80s, where the kid has a doll that comes to life. Nobody believes the kid, and the doll is a murdering doll. And it's become this huge franchise where it's like Chucky's Chucky gets married, and there's Chucky's wife, and it, 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 goes, it gets crazy. So this is a huge franchise, and um, there's even a line in it where, you know, one of the characters says says the word child's play. So this isn't child's play. And I can't believe that some people did not get that. That was a reference to child's play. <laughs> and it's uh, Una Morgana, and she says it so clearly and obviously and succinctly. And she says, this is child's play. <laughs> just like that there's no no slurring of the world words or anything it's just sort of like why isn't anybody caught on to this yet <laughs> yeah it's a guy who thinks his sex doll is alive and nobody believes him <laughs> and the sex dolls goes on a you know not necessarily a murdering rampage but is like kidnapping everybody mm-hmm. and holds the entire office hostage and then we have a little bit of a reference back to um 
the brain that wouldn't die because in the movie the brain that wouldn't die the head had psychic powers and so um we have the head played by foxy as uh having psychic powers and is able and, to call in and foxy reaches out to a, a superhero who pops uh, her head in her gigantic head in <laughs> and may or may not today you have to watch to make sure but <laughs> it's a really cool scene by played by drag pool this was a really um this is a really great special effects thing too for you sig because um what was funny when we wrote this the you know the cinematographer had a lot of doubts about us pulling this off mm -hmm. um because we wrote basically wrote in that there was going to be the actress and then we we're going to actually have a blow-up doll and we would just switch between the guy having the blow up doll not move and then suddenly it being the actor i mean the actress and um i think it i think it did we did a great job and sig do you want to tell us about the process of turning this blow up doll into uh into ona's face <laughs> yeah so um yeah we were trying to figure out how we were going to do it and then i just i think we just decided the best way uh i had ona's live cast and i sculpted sort of a more generic face over that and then i cast up a just a latex pull of her face and then painted like this you know generic or I, yeah i just made the lips all like oh you know like sex doll lips and uh just painted a makeup on and then we had ona actually match that makeup and yeah it totally like it, it worked even better than like i i had no doubts that it was going to work but like watching it all cut together like it, it feels so seamless and it's like it just works so well it's inexplicably seamless considering we have this you know textiles don't look like anything these days back in the day maybe it looked a little bit like a human but now they only make novelty ones they i guess they technically so still like, work but they're like three and a half foot tall <laughs> yeah they're like really short and the proportions don't make any sense um the one we got was called like fatty patty or something yeah it was like fatty patty which we were really worried about but it actually wasn't a, a you know like a overweight person it was just like a big you know those cute chubs chubs uh doll yeah i think but, all, the, all the fat was in the shoulders or something they had these like huge weird yeah. shoulders for some reason football player soldiers mm -hmm. and you know the the uh, the outfits we got and the wig we got and because of ona such a uh fantastic makeup art or artist themselves they they identity made the identical look on their face to the doll so they looked very alike all the colors were perfect you know the proportions were actually weren't that out of sync so when we did switch the scenes with them it seemed to work really 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 well yeah she was uh ona did a great job playing uh chelsea see instead of chucky we had mm -hmm. chelsea come on people and it was a redhead with freckles mm -hmm. uh here's a funny uh side note um which is I didn't realize that Ona didn't have, um, had. I didn't realize that she had hairy armpits uh, until we were shooting. And I'm like, oh no, that doesn't match the doll. So I like was like, I, I got, well, you know, while everyone was like getting into makeup and stuff, I was like, I gotta add armpit hair to this doll somehow. <laughs> and I was like, I can't just like take, you know, wig hair or something that's gonna be a mess. So I have these, as you can see, actually, believe it or not, I have these like furry walls behind me it's fun fur and I have a bunch of it and so I was like 
I basically took cut patches of the gray fun fur that I have and I took Sharpies. I took black and brown Sharpies and like multicolored it to make it look like red hair. And then I like hot glued it to the to the armpits of the of the uh, of the blow up doll so that it would match because there's clearly many scenes where Chelsea lifts up her armpits and you can see that she has hairy armpits and I'm like that's an inconsistency mm-hmm. not on not on my watch <laughs> so um, that was episode oh and um, are these the, I'll talk a little bit about this the stand in the last second stand in for Meatball was uh, an old friend of uh, Ave's, Reginald Cranberry, a really cool actor, and uh, they killed it too. I mean, they did a great job. This person has like a really, really funny personality and just, you know, uh, not really uh, known as an actor, but totally fucking killed it. And it's a great, it's a great episode. Yeah. If this person is very similar to another actor that you may know, it's just purely a coincidence. Yes, it's not, it has nothing to do it's with not that person so don't at, all. Don't yeah. Think that at all. Yeah. There's a lot of mysteries. A lot of mysteries that need to remain mysteries. Yeah, so stop trying to figure it out. Yeah, don't make any comments. It's Reginald Cranberry. <laughs> this person's okay. name is Reginald Cranberry. Reginald Cranberry. <laughs> okay? That's all you need to know. <laughs> so the next episode. The last episode, the season finale episode. Um, now this is a crazy, uh, a, a crazy ending to a crazy series and a crazy story that how it got all there. This is, this is, yeah. It's based on the, mostly the ending scene to, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is a, a movie done in 1970 by Russ Meyer. It's uh, sort of like a very trashy, ridiculous, um, Russ Meyer and, uh, Roger Ebert was the co-writer. But uh, uh, Russ Meyer was uh, Russ Myers was the director and the co-writer, and um, it's it was an interesting movie at the time. It came became a cult movie, and it was sort of uh, based on Valley of the Dolls. But it's it wasn't a sequel, but it was sort of like an impressionistic continuation. I think what happened is the uh, the um, uh, the company, the, the movie company said, okay, well, we own the rights to Valley of the Dolls. Hey, Russ Myers, why don't you do, you know, something alluding to that? And they almost took the, it's it's not really a sequel. It's sort of like something sort of in the same vein. It's, it's a melodrama. It's that cheesy ass melodrama from 1970. And it's ridiculous. It's bizarre. And it became like a famous, famous cult movie. When this year happens to be the 50th anniversary of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And, um, but the, the end scene, which is what we based our entire finale on is, is, is this amazing, crazy, epic. It's a murder scene. Murder scene. And it was, uh, at the time of the movies making, it was right after the, um, the Manson murders that happened, uh, the Sharon Tate and, and all that stuff. And it was the scene and, and the movie was sort of alluded to that very strongly. So it was a very visceral, shocking, for a, like a corny, trashy movie, it was extremely visceral and shocking murder scene at the end. If you haven't seen the movie, you're stupid. You gotta I go think check you should see, do yourself a favor and see that movie and then watch this finale. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you saw this finale already, go watch the movie 
and then watch this finale again because it's a whole different experience. Um, but what we want to say is that we ended up getting one of our idols um, and heroes, which is an actor named John Lazar. Who is the lead in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, he plays this iconic character called Z-Man. And, you know, I first saw uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls in like late 80s. I was going to art school. I know I'm, I'm ridiculously old. So what? <clears throat> but my wife is very, very young. I just got so lucky. I'm like a total grave robber. Grave <laughs> robber or a cradle it's robber? Not... <laughs> Anyways, what were you saying? <laughs> anyway, um, so I saw like at art school in the in the late 80s. I fell in love with the then. It was my favorite movie ever. So I took that in my heart all these years. And then, you know, we were doing this series and we're like, oh, you know, we should do the the finale. Uh, it's a big murder scene. So it's sort of like, oh, well, we'll allude to this movie. And then, um, you know, we were writing it and everything. And then- Which Disasterina basically parodies Z-Man. That's right. I parody Z-Man, who is the main character. And um, I thought, well, you know, I wonder, you know, we live in, in uh, LA. I wonder what the actors of the show are doing, in particular Z-Man, uh, played, by, played by John Lazar. Well, what's, maybe he's still in town. Wouldn't that be weird if um, we could, you know, I just find him and he, we could hire him to be in, in the in the show. And it seemed like a total pipe dream. But I went on to IMDb and I saw that the most recent thing that John Lazar did was a music video that was done like uh, maybe three years ago or so. And uh, okay, um, I'm like, oh, I'll check yeah, out. Yeah, it was like a year ago. I it's think really it, was, re recent. Mm, it, was, it was either 2018 or 2019, I don't remember. But anyway, I was like, oh, I'll go check out the video. And I looked at the music video and it's like, wait a fucking second here. That man, John Lazar, is in the house of one of our main actors. One of our main actors. Oh, is, we didn't even talk about him. We will. But Sean Forrester plays Mr. Johnson, and his his main episode is like this episode one where he gets tortured and uh, turned into a zombie uh, sissy maid. But we, um, but I was watching this 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 music video of some random band, and John Lazar has placed the devil in it, and he is sitting in front of Sean Forrester's sculptures in his fucking house, and it just blew me away. And I was like, I called. It might have been like 4 a.m. I just called up. Sean Forrester right there and then there. I was like, what the fuck is John Lazar doing in your house? <laughs> this is crazy. And then um, Sean gave us the number of... He gave us John uh, no, Lazar's he, number. He um, uh, contacted the, the director of that music video and oh, got the number from her. Her name was... Uh, what's her, her name is Kansas. Her name is Kansas. And she was in... She's an actress. And believe it or not, this is another weird circle she actually plays one of the manson girls in the movie um what's that uh the, the last quentin tarantino movie uh hollywood about hollywood uh, i can't remember once the name upon of it, a time in hollywood or something what? like that once upon a time in hollywood and it's sort of based on the manson murders as well sort of like a different take of it and she plays one of the manson girls right and uh, <laughs> so she so apparently she gave the number to sean shaw gave it to us and i just cold called john lazar and it was like, it was so surreal. It was so bizarre because John was. He answered. First he of answered, all. and he was fucking with with me the entire time. He was pulling my leg. He was pushing my buttons. Um, it was great. He was so charming. He was, but he basically Z Man had to be written for him. I mean, his name is John Lazar with a with a 
with a you know capital L. I mean capital Z, and then he was called Z Man. So we're like, dude, John Lazar is Z Man, <laughs> and he's fucking with disaster reading right you know, now. And I was like, I'm on I'm on the phone with Z Man right now, and he's giving me hell. I think in the best possible way. I mean, he's that kind of person. He's he pushes you to the brink. He's got like very some, lightheartedly. So not being not being an, an asshole. Not not at all. But, but somebody who's you. like fucking with you. Basically <laughs> the ultimate troll. <laughs> so Disasterina is on the phone with John Lazar. And I'm sitting there because I could hear everything. And I'm jumping up and down. And we're like high-fiving each other. And we're laughing because John Lazar is like fucking, you know, fucking around. And we mentioned the show. And he's like, John Lazar basically is saying, um, you know, he's down with that, with whatever. But he needs to have it be very respectful. He's like, you know, this is going to be the 50th anniversary. It's going to be, oh, beyond the Valley I'll be of the on Dolls. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is going to be on the Criterion Collection, which is extremely, you know, like Prestige. an, an, a prestigious and an honor. So, you know, he doesn't want to do anything that's going to, that's going to damage the, you know, we're, we're making fun of it in a negative way. So it was an homage. And so he, we, he said, go ahead, send me, send me the script. And he ended up being in it. And the funny thing was, is that because John Lazar is 82, no, 84. No, he's no, 70, 70. He's 74. 74. 74. Sorry. He just had a birthday. I think it would have been his, is it 74 or 75? I'm not sure. But uh, no, he's, uh, yeah, he, Which, he by was the very, way, very young during the when movie. You, when you see him and you talk to him, you can't even tell how old he is because he has, first of all, he looks great. He looks amazing. And um, and then he just feels so young. Mm-hmm. He just has this great uh, charisma t- to him. So that's the reason why. He might as well be 100 years old to me. I can't tell. But anyway, um, we didn't want to put a lot of strain on him because we didn't know him. We didn't know this at the time when we were talking to him. And so we wrote a part where he, all he had to do was lay in bed and play himself. <laughs> and it's a dream. And, and it's a dream. So like It's like, you know, he wakes up and he is... Calls somebody, calls uh, calls Kansas, and uh, you know relates this crazy dream. And the dream, of course, was the episode. Of so what the entire episode six is John Lazar's dream, <laughs> and uh, and he describes the dream to Kansas on the phone. And the funny thing was, is because we didn't really know anything about John Lazar besides the conversation we had when we wrote this. We literally recreated the conversation. Of, of what he had between Disasterina. So if you guys want to watch that scene, that's the conversation this, that Disasterina had with, with John Lazar pretty much, where he's talking about the Criterion and, you know, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and, you know. And then calls it Dolls. It's so, it's yeah, so charming. Says, Everybody apparently who's associated with that movie calls it Dolls instead of just always having to say Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So it's like, it refers to it as Dolls. Yeah. Wow. And he kind of makes fun of himself by saying, you know, like, don't worry, I'm not going to do any trashy. Because if this is the 50th anniversary, don't worry, I'm not going to do any trashy. What does he say? Trashy cameos. Trashy cameos. <laughs> but the funny thing was, is so Disasterina started writing the scene of, of John Lazar in the bed. And he starts, because he recalls his, he recalls the conversation that he had. So he starts to write it and he stops and he says, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to write this. We're talking about John Lazar here. And I said, I know, I know exactly what to do. So I go in and I, and I write the entire scene, uh, the finish the entire scene and I end it with him 
saying, I'm not going to do any more trashy cameos. And then he puts down the phone and he looks right into the camera and he winks and he smiles. And I'm dying laughing because it was kind of like a joke. Like, we're not going to fucking get John Lazar to say this shit and like look into the camera and smile. And so I gave Masterina and she started laughing and she was like, we're not going to get away with this. And I am, <laughs> yeah, we're totally not going to get away with this. And we did. It somehow. Happened. It happened. Somehow it happened. You know, I would have to say that's like, that's the, a lot of really, really cool things that have happened in my life. I am just flabbergasted, however, at this thing that, that happened, you know, this, uh, this was, this was a, I can't say it was really a dream come true that John Lazar played a character in a TV show alluding to his movie. I can't really say that was like my main dream in life, but that the idea that this happened was just, it just, blows my mind every second I think about it. It's so so crazy. And, you know, I was very discouraged. There was some negotiation with John and us, uh, mostly with, with Ave, and I was like, God, this is never going to happen. This is never... I kept, every time we had a little bit of new contact with him, I was like, oh, that's too bad. Well, at least, you know, we, we, we talked to him on the phone. You know, at least we talked to him on the phone. <laughs> at least he saw the script. And then he fucking was in the Yeah, because that's kept giving up. She was like... Uh, every step of the way she was like well at least we got to talk to him well at least he knows we exist and i was like oh no this is gonna like you watch me and i became like sleazy hollywood uh manager type mm -hmm. and i was like john baby john baby this is what's gonna happen mm -hmm. and by the way <laughs> that's the way that john talks he talks like it's 1970 and he so, talks like he's sort of like this like uh industry lingo and stuff hey baby how's it going you know it's sort of it's 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 he's totally wonderful well this is what's this is a really important note so in beyond the valley of the dolls uh spoiler alert but john czar z-man is a trans turns out to be trans and so it's a man who has um he reveals himself to be a woman and and exposes his breasts and so i've never i, I mean i haven't done my research but i'm pretty sure that's the very first time that that is represented yeah i, I think people should maybe research on and figure that figure out what you know is that the first representation in like a, a major motion picture film of uh, a trans person it might be you know i'm not sure we're not sure but i wouldn't be surprised if it is and it's really great great prosthetic like it's so realistic mm -hmm. and um and john was was amazing he he, he was like super excited to to play this character and when we told him that this was a heavily um this this cast was all about the lgbt community um and to be multicultural in every way that we can and he was all about that yeah, they, so he and his wife margaret are uh, absolutely supporters of uh, you know queer people and um they're just and she's has a i mean we could go and do another you know podcast just about margaret but she has a really interesting history uh, as well yeah both of them are awesome um but um, speaking of beyond the about beyond the beyond, which is what episode six is called, we have another surprise, fun surprise that we will reveal right now, which has a lot to do with Usig. Oh, right. So um, we wanted to because we were like, like we said, when we were writing this, we want to blow everybody's mind away. So we were pulling out all stops. So we didn't know when we were writing this that we were going to get John Lazar. We had no idea what was going to happen. So our 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 actual huge you know, Easter egg surprise was the fact that I have a really great friend who was the um, art director for a lot of major motion films. Um, Hocus Focus is one. 
he did um, Blood Beach. <laughs> he was a prop master in um, Did he do Robocop? Enter the Dragon. He no, did he did Robo Total, Total Recall. Total Recall. He did Robocop. Um, he did, um, he just said, you know, he did Flintstones. So he's a great friend of mine. And I thought, my gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could have him do, be in, do the cameo? Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, we have to write in. So I had the idea of like, at first we thought, well, maybe people will be tripping out. And, uh, and for some weird reason, we would just have in there like peeking through a window. Like we're like, and I was like, no, I was like, you know what we're going to do? So I had the idea that in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls where um, Z-Man reveals himself to be a woman, instead of him revealing himself to be a woman, he reveals himself to be a mutant. And so a la total recall. So total recall. So Dr. Sato reveals herself to be a mutant and she has a disasterina quato come out of her stomach. And it's a drag queen version of Quato. Uh, <laughs> created by Signutron, created by Sig also Neutron. puppeteered by uh, Signutron, and voiced, and voiced by yep. Signutron. That was that was fun. I had like I, <laughs> it was like half attached to your stomach, and I had to just like hide behind you and reach around and just like puppeteer the mouth as I'm like trying to like hug your body as like my face is like on your butt, and I'm just like open your mind. <laughs> it's like it's a living. <laughs> you know, it's so much fun. Like it was. Uh, I've always, uh, it, I just, you know, I love the golden era of effects and practical stuff. And it was so cool to like get to have the opportunity to make that for you guys. And what was really cool is that day on set, um, he was there and we, we talked about uh, him working on Total Recall, uh, all the sets. And we talked about how, yeah, the golden era of filmmaking, like when they were actually making real sets and, and it was just, there's something magical about actually physically making something for film and uh by the way you know i'm never going to turn down a rich round <laughs> this is my pleasure <laughs> but uh oh uh, did we even mention his name his, his name is william sandell so william yeah his name is william sandell uh william sandell and um yeah he was great he we have a whole cameo of him where he actually sees uh the quato and has a really funny remark which you have to watch mm -hmm. and see um but i want people to really because there's so much detail that sig put into this quato um what do you call it puppet. so he put in so much detail and i don't know because the the way it's cut and 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 so much is happening and there's so much to see um, I don't know if everyone can get to really kind of behold. So if you've seen this, if you've seen it already, I'd suggest you go back and watch it. And if you haven't seen it already, I suggest you go and try to pay attention to the details because this isn't just a quato. It's a mini disasterina quato. So it has like these saggy tits. Um, just like mine. <laughs> it has the makeup. Um, it's just so funny. And we, you know, if you go to Sado Psychiatrist on IG, you can find a lot of behind the scenes stuff and you'll find some more footage of Quado and some close ups and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, talking about William is uh, that's a good segue into because he does set design. And I want to talk about your guys' sets because while you shot a couple places uh, here and there outside of your house, you guys built most of those sets in your house. It was out of necessity. You know, it's a small budget. 
But like we were talking about, we don't want to make it look necessarily, I mean, it can look trashy, but I don't want it to look low budget. So we spent a lot of time um, and the best way, economical way to do that is to actually do it. We, we live in a two story house and we each have, um, it was mainly done in my, vi I call it my video room, which is sort of like my, my room. I do painting, I do video, I do everything in there. It's my workroom. And we turned that into two sets. And we turned uh, the, the bottom floor of the, uh, the house into two sets. And so, but we, because of Ave's beautiful artwork and she collects all these uh, other antique things as antique things as well and like different, we both collect props and stuff. So we were able to make these things, these rooms look more than just like a very hastily cheapo put together set. It actually looks really, really cool. And, um, you know, we did that through necessity because we had to, uh, such a small budget, but it, uh, but it turned out real good. Right. And I, I want to challenge people. I mean, I get a lot of comments where, you know, people saying like, oh, this is low budget, but I love it. And it's like, I'm trying to think, figure out what about it looks low budget to them. Because if they really saw the, the caliber of the, the sets and stuff, I mean, this wasn't just thrown together. And this is like actually a real house. And, and the, the art, the props you're looking at is actually real artwork. So uh, we didn't get a lot of money for this. We got a good, we got a decent amount, but we put in so much. We use a lot of our own stuff. Like we said, we turned our entire house into sets, um, which was insane, you know? And, uh, but yeah, these, the, a lot of these things weren't props. They're actually were legit items. Um, including the swords that I wasn't using. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> but I mean, we're actually using real swords in this stuff. It wasn't like a prop sword made out of, you know, foam and latex. It was like metal and brass. Mm -hmm. um, and the things that you're seeing in the back weren't props, weren't like plastic. They were actually, you know, brass wood um, sculptures and stuff. So marble sculptures in the background, actual oil paintings from the local artists that we have, we collect from. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to think like, you know, what about the, our sets or our, 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 our production makes people feel like I it's think, low budget. I think they're trying to, I don't think they really want to use the word low budget. I think they want to use the word indie because you could tell we made it ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's also the, the trash, the, the, the dialogue is uber trashy. <laughs> it is full on. So I think people maybe watch the way we treat each other on the show and think, <laughs> Oh, this is so. <laughs> well, this I think so, that everything's trashy, but the sets are actually way less trashier than. Yeah, well, I'd also I think uh, low budget has become a, it's it's a genre and it's a sensibility. I, I think it's uh, it can necessarily it could be used in a context that's not necessarily like a bad thing. I think it's just it describes a, a feel in a sense, but like not in a like. I, I think the reason why they love it is because they can tell that the artistry, but I think it, it's, I think it's, yeah, trashy is what they, they're implying when they say that, mm -hmm. which I mean, it's, I, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, which it's like uber trashy and that's why I love it. It's, you know. Well, yeah. And um, the, there's particularly the break room. So like the break room, Disaster Arena wanted to literally look like a trashy break room. So she took, uh, you know, a part of the room in her studio and just took everything down and then threw up with a, like a broken air conditioner, like a shitty, like it's supposed to look like a shitty, we took out like old lawn furniture from our backyard, didn't even clean it up and made that 
because we wanted to show that that was like what, you know, a corporation or, you know, what like a workplace would be. Yeah, they don't this. put any, they don't, they don't decorate the break room. They don't want it to look nice. They don't care about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> think about like a, like a, a break room from like, you know, an old supermarket or something. That's sort of what I wanted it to look like. Just a bunch of like grime on the walls and it's like crappy carpeting and the table I found the garbage and the chairs were out in the yard and had all this like mold on them and everything and i just wanted to make it look like it was just like a, an awful awful place so totally. it's supposed to like yeah not as totally and it was amazing like it's you walk in and it's like one half of the room is uh dr sato's like office where she treats patients it's all gothic and, and awesome and weird and scary and then like the whole time we were filming that scene like i'm staring at like the shitty break room and it's like it's so convincing as a shitty break room that it's like people, that's the problem is when you do something so well, people don't even realize that it was done in the first place. They think, oh, you probably just shot it in some shitty like break room somewhere. But it's like, that's your house. And you put like every single thing was art directed to look like a shitty break room. And that's like, I'm just so blown away. Like I would love to see, cause you guys are do, you do the Sado trash tales uh, on your guys. And I would love to see an episode just based on the sets because like that alone, so much work. And, and just seeing your guys's house morph every time I would come over is like, man, I was blown away. Like, you guys did such a good job. Thank you. Um, you know, speaking of like budget or whatever, um, one thing that we were really proud of was the um, 3D visual effects. And um, it's interesting because we had um, two people working on it. We have or th three. Uh, three people working on it um, who are, are all very amazing. But what's interesting is that well, I, I have did sexy ferrets. So that was oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> Disasterina did some stuff too. Um, but what was, what was interesting is that I have an old friend who was an illustrator for a book that I wrote. Uh, and his name is Rudy Martinez. And uh, I don't know I didn't, why I didn't think of him in the first place. And, um, but we had some like kind of, uh, fall throughs with certain effects, uh, happening. And, um, and I was just trying to think we we're on this crazy schedule with this deadline. And so I'm just thinking, trying to go through my brain, like, who do I know? Who do I know? Who could like hook us up that we could, we could afford, you know? And, um, I just thought, oh man, I remember. And this was like years ago. It's like t over 10 years ago where my friend Rudy was just getting into effects and, I contacted him forgetting that this was 10 years ago where he just got into effects. So if he's been doing it for over 10 years, he's obviously way better than that. Right. He is so humble that he, you know, he's like, yeah, sure. I'll do it for you. And he gives us this like extremely reasonable price. And we're like, sure. And then when we, not only did he do such a, a fantastic job, but he did it so quickly. He's like, yeah, sure. I'll get that to you in like a day or whatever. A couple of days or whatever and we're just thinking yeah you know this is low budget we you know we've got to lower our expectations mm -hmm. you know as long as it has this or this like in episode uh three he uh he does the special effects for when fagenstein for when mark um doctor uh mr knapp turns into fagenstein and and becomes this super fagenstein and all we wanted was a little bit of lightning on the hands and and you know we're um, Frida Kate Hole explode, you know, spoiler alert, right? And <laughs> <laughs> he went so far and beyond that we were, we were like laughing so hard because we just, it's just like, obviously, you know, somebody had the, this really funny comment. So fast forward back to episode six, he did this, 
um, Rudy Martinez did the effects for this uh, scene where we're uh, all hallucinating, the, the cast is hallucinating. And they're uh, seeing, they're, they're doing like a- The juggling. The juggling of these like hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic like balls, different version of mm -hmm. what they're seeing as energy balls that they're passing around that's hallucinating. That's right. It was sort of like something that we actually used to do. We used to get crazy wazy and then we would actually do this. We would have a an way. imagined ball and you would pass it to the next person, the next person, and each person saw a different thing. So right. this was the idea for the scene. So That's true. That's good to talk about because so, when we would go on a psychedelic trip, it wasn't um, – when we go on psychedelic trips, it's not just to get – that fucked up or whatever we go to to kind of expand our mind and to push the limits and we usually do it with a close group of friends and we do these experimental games so we can kind of uh you know to enhance the experience but also to kind of know what how far our brain can go mm -hmm. and how connected we could feel so part of that the games that we we play is as soon as we are all feeling it when we'd be you know tripping we would take energy ball and we would toss it to each other. And um, and so that's that was the inspiration for this scene. Well, we have Rudy Martinez, and we're like asking him, oh, can you create this and this? And he did such a good job that we had a friend who was like, oh, would you get the the, the person who did like Spider-Man, who did the, the effects of Spider-Man to do this last episode or something? <laughs> like It looks so, bro, it's funny. It's like, we're so low budget, we're so trashy, right? <laughs> and then, and then this guy, Rudy, comes over here, physically, buddy, he comes over he on comes our video. Our project. He yeah. comes into our project and it makes it look like a million dollars, but in a sort of like, in a ridiculous way. Yeah, it, it we asked seem... him to like, make somebody like actually juggling balls, like real balls. Like testicles. Testicles. And, and it's, that's just the most ridiculous premise, but done at such a high end, in such a high, <laughs> high end fashion that uh, it, it, it's just too hilarious. Yeah. So it's like, uh, that's why, no, I guess know. that's why I got a little like, what, why, what about this production is making people think that this is a low budget? Because mm -hmm. even though that was very affordable for us, that would be the kind of special effects you see in like a million dollar movie, like m millions of dollars movie. Mm -hmm. That's high special effects quality for juggling uh -oh. balls. <laughs> the highest quality, the lowest of track. Great yeah. combo. <laughs> so shout out to Rudy Martinez. Thank you for saving the day and giving us a great deal. You and rock. we can't wait for season two because he's going to be working on every episode. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but all the people that did the effects, they did, uh, they did amazing jobs. And let's talk did. a little bit about the, the cast and crew a little bit. I mean, because everybody sort of came on do you know with a cheap price and um and a lot a lot of people was a labor of love they really enjoyed being part of this crazy unusual uh, thing um you know and uh, I, I think the the thing that i appreciate the most is when the people who are part of it made it their own thing i think there was like a few actors that really did that and i think sean forrester as mr johnson was super enthusiastic and dove into it. Foxy Ajway as uh, Foxy Lade was s spectacular. Really just made this thing their own creature. And uh, of course, as well, just uh, just became icky. And, um, and Bitch Pudding, who did a lot of ad-libbing and um, was, uh, she was, she was part of the, the cast from the get-go. Um, she was in the, original 
pilot. In the original pilot. Not the original, original skit, but in the first, in the pilot that we showed to OutCB. And, um, and you can tell that's solely Bitch Pudding's personality. A lot mm -hmm. of the, 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 the clap back is, is just her ad-libbing is really hilarious. Yeah, the lot, almost everything that, well, not almost everything, but a lot of stuff that Bitch since was not in the script, just came up with it and we sort of workshopped it right there on the set. Yeah, she's hilarious. But um, but also the people working behind the scenes. We had an amazing director who is, her name is Jackie DeLeon. And um, I thought it was great because it was a shout out to, you know, like they said, having as far as having a diverse cast, we have, you know, it was great that we had taken on a female director who was also, um, you know, part Filipino. So and also a drag king who appears in episode six. Yeah. And she has this great drag king character um, called Skirt Cocaine. And um, but so, you know, and then our cinematographer who is Brent Bailey, Brent Bailey, who's and amazing. Brent, Brent uh, we worked with a couple of projects uh, before um, and we loved working with him and he did a, a fantastic job. But not only that, he was like a, a perfect, um, you know, director of photography, but also he made things super economical for us because he brought us the lights and, uh, equipment. He, and equipment and he did it for a really cheap price. And he was fucking there every, he was on time. I mean, I felt he <laughs> bad sometimes because some... he was always on time. He was always prepared. He, he, and yeah, he, he was so such a work. hard worker, never complained, uh, always in good, great spirits, um, just you know, he's a professional that that uh, everyone is blessed to have on their project. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Brent Bailey. Um, he brought in some amazing um, second cat second cameraman. Right. And he, yeah, yeah, he he went ahead and you know he got the, the cameraman that we needed. So we appreciate that as well. He got some great people. We had some amazing sound um, people, and the sound was it was vital to the show. And that I think is is really when you can tell if something is low budget, um, is is the sound design. And so we have some amazing um, shout outs. We have um, Jonathan Millette. We have um, Joe, Barton. Joe Barton. We have Zach Landru. Zach Landru. We have uh, Shem. Uh, um, uh, Kim Durson, I believe his name was. Yeah, I think Kim was only at one. one yeah. Movie. But it was difficult to get a lot of people from the industry to do this because you know we are a low low budget so people you know we were paying them we were, we paying, were them. paying them uh you know what i would if i get that a day i would be pretty fucking happy but it's different when you do a job like say like a maybe like a job in hollywood or something of course there's a minimum and that sort of thing. So we had to sort of be very economical about it. You know, nobody got and these were long days. Some of these were some yeah. of these were twelve hour days. Mm -hmm. Um that was the one thing that we did because that was very important. We spent so much money on food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we wanted to make sure that our crew was well fed. So we always had snacks and we always had healthy food. Um I think it wasn't it Spike Lee who was talking about the importance of you know on his productions just make sure everybody's belly is filled with good food and that goes a long 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 way to making um really good art and i think i must have seen something about that and we, we decided no we have to make yeah, sure we no matter it. what we do we're going to make sure that the food is healthy the food is good we want to get taken everybody's input and and get what people want that was one thing that we didn't skim on there was no taco bell days 
McDonald's days. Unless people wanted it. They were like, okay, what do you guys want today? There was a few days where people actually wanted pizza. Mm -hmm. like, uh, <laughs> okay. We still got really good pizza. Yeah, we, we yeah. got high top-notch pizza. So yeah. even the pizza days were, were good days. So that was the one thing that we uh, shelled out no matter what. And, and a lot of people don't realize this, but I still had to work uh, doing shows. So um, I ended up doing convention these shows. conventions because I can make a couple of thousand dollars per convention. And since in all the money that we were getting from the network was literally being poured in, we didn't have the money to pay rent or to buy to for eating and for things like that. And the little extra padding that we had, like going all out on food, um, you know, or doing an extra location here or whatever, ooh, there that was not in the budget at all. And so I was actually working on, you know, he would build sets and I would go and I would go and do do a convention. And it's, and it's weird because when I do a convention, it's not just me being in a con at the convention. I would actually have to make art to sell mm -hmm. at the convention. And to bring her sculptures. <laughs> to and bring all my sculptures, make the art, sell it, and then come back and then shoot the next day for 12-hour days. I'm surprised we're still alive. <laughs> it's the yeah. best time of our lives. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I like commend you guys because like I was there, I wasn't on set every day, but I was there a good chunk of days. But your guys' set, like just out of necessity, the schedule was like brutal. And like how, what, from start to finish, how long did you, was it that you guys finished this, shot all the episodes? So from September actual, to uh, the end of October. We didn't have like a tight schedule, like a lot of like the big industry places because I knew that we had too many things to do. So I had to put sprinkled some some days off in there. But I think maybe a total of like around 20 shoot days. Um, it had to be more. Well, there were... Because it was from... Well, listen, we know, we know we started shooting at the beginning of September and we were done shooting at the end of October. Hmm. And, and we had maybe a couple of days a week off. But still, these were, like we, I said, these like 12 hour days. Yeah. And you guys, in your guys' days off, that, that's what I'm saying. It's so brutal is because, like, you guys are making art, you're making props, you're making yeah. sets. Like, you guys are wearing so many hats to do this. And it's like, it really, you guys really poured all your love into it. And it's like, I, I'm just, I'm impressed, man. You guys, like, really, uh, you turned it out. Thank you. And, you know, that's why it's so important for everybody to see this. Not just people in the horror community or the queer community, but everybody needs to see this because it's actually a really fucking good show. <laughs> it's super duper funny. It's super duper weird. You're never going to see anything like this show. And also, it's a new thing. There's no show like this. And it is difficult to promote because you would think, you know, everybody who, because there's so many uh, stars from Dragula in our show. I think there's like seven Dragula uh stars appear in our show and you would think like oh like everybody on you know the the dragula reddit is going to be posting about this every day all day long forever but it's a different animal it's like you know uh, dragula is spoofing a reality show is a reality show and it's spoofing another reality show which is spoofing another reality show and we're <laughs> not doing a this reality is a, yeah show. this is a scripted comedy it's a scripted comedy and even though we feel like a lot of these um 
you know, reality shows are comedy shows. They're, they even have co- literally have comedy skits as part of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought that it would be it, that all these fans would run over and be like, oh, there's a bunch of drag queens in a comedy, drag queens and kings in the comedy mm-hmm. um, featuring some of our favorite drag queens and kings. We just thought they would all run over. And I think it's the same thing that we we're talking about at the beginning, that it's so new that it's kind of a scratching of the head. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, these are these 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 are queens are playing themselves. You know, they're playing a character. They're acting. Mm-hmm. And so if you give it a chance, you'll love it. But it's not this not this automatic. We just thought, oh, we thought we were being clever and trying to we just thought instantly all these fans would jump over. And it's not the case. We have to work a lot harder to get we're, people to watch this. And we are believe you mean we are working hard, hard, hard to promote the show and everything. And it's not that it's, you know, you know, people are watching the show. It's just that we have to work. Uh, there, there's, you know, nothing's being handed to us. Like mm-hmm. here you have, here's your show and here's your audience. No, you have to fight for it. You have to, you have to kick people in the teeth to get to watch the, whatever it is you or you know, look at whatever it is you're doing. And you just have to continuously keep your pedal to the metal and, and do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. That's what we're Yeah, that was the right hard now. thing about the pandemic, which was, you know, on one hand we we're like, oh great, this is this is the time for people to watch a TV show. This is the perfect time to watch a TV show. We actually had really high hopes at the beginning because we we're like, well, at least we have this TV show. Um, but then we realized how, how do we get more people to watch it than just our circle of friends and fans? How do we do that? Because, you, all because without had, a budget. Well, because we had what we had planned was going to do all our regular huge conventions where 100,000 people go Comic-Con, Monster Palooza, um, all these major events that we were going to go drag and con. completely drag con and hand out flyers and tell people about our show. You we know, completely lost that. Yeah, we would have had face-to-face with tens of thousands of people that we can promote to and that's gone so now we have to uh do whatever we can only online which is you know it's hard to promote online there's so much so so everybody's on social media so you have to you know you have to really you know and there's only there's only so much you can say to the people who have already seen it or you know and we believe it or not there's so many people who are our greatest fans and they're like this is great yeah I'm going to watch it. And we're like, why haven't you watched it yet? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't be mad. Go watch it whenever they want. But it's uh, it's just not as easy as you think having a TV show and promoting it. And, you know, uh, shows that are, it's uh, one thing is like, it's very, very, very difficult to have a successful show, not just for a low budget show, for like a high budget show. It's like, you know, getting eyeballs on that goddamn show is a trick. And you got to just, continue to to figure out the way the best way to do it and you know with zero money resources especially difficult but you know we're doing really really good we're creating lots and lots of content that was, promotes the show i was ex- telling disasterina about it because i had this epiphany because i was thinking in my head this was like you know think about the brand coke how much money does coke spend on promoting themselves and you think why do they still even have to do that? Not only is that just this brand that everybody knows and it's already it's already in every single restaurant, every country. Every country and it's also addictive. Why why would they put in all this money in? It's because that's how much people have and it's that's how short our attention spans are as people. If they stop putting in millions of dollars that they would, people would start forgetting about it. Isn't that weird? Coca-Cola. So because I, because we would be baffled. We were like, we would be thinking like, how do, how, how is it that, at least the amount of people who are our fans on Instagram are not watching this show, 
And we're like, how come some of the people who are like our greatest fans still haven't watched the show? It's not like there's anything wrong with them. It's just that's the way people's minds are. You have to really pound it into them. Please watch the show. Please watch the show. By the way, do you remember we have a show? Mm-hmm. Guess what? We have this great show. And people are like, you know, very innocently like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that show. Shit, I'm gonna, I've got to watch it at some point. You just got to keep got to keep keeping it, you know? It's so it. weird to think that we have to do that. But if Coca-Cola has to mm-hmm. do it, surely we <laughs> yeah. have to multiple times from multiple different places. Not just our show, every show. So you just have, it's, it's there's nothing, you know, it's, there's nothing special in that sense. It's like you always have to promote whatever it is really, really hard. You just have to shove it down their throats. That's one of the hardest things like I had to learn as an artist is like, I learned this really hard with Bizarro Gogo. It was like, we poured all this work into it as this huge project. We were so proud of it. And then I just thought, man, I'm just, we're just gonna, once this is done, it's gonna be easy street, man. Everybody's gonna love it, we're good. And then it was like crickets. And it's like, you know, I mean, it found its audience for sure, but it's like these, it's, it's so hard that just doing the creative work is only half of the work because then you have to sell the creative work to the audience. And that is a huge job in itself that there's like, it's constantly evolving, like trying to, like you said, like COVID got in your guys' way. Um, now, now algorithms are like screwing artists over. It's like, it's, we're, we're fighting this crazy battle of like, how do we get our stuff seen? Because you and I know, like if we, if everybody that would love our stuff saw it, then we'd be good. We'd be set like, boom. But it's like, how do you get those people to see it? Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is like, especially with Bizarro Gogo is that every single person who's seen Bizarro Gogo or anything associated, associated with Bizarro Gogo is like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I want to see more, right? So it's not that even that we presented it and we had to convince people to like it. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is get people to see it and they're in love with it. Yeah. So it's it can be very discouraging. And you need to think about these advertising agencies and how they make so much money. And it's not because they're doing something that anybody could do on their own. Like, why would they make so much money? That Because it's that important. And we can try to do it on our own, and we are. But people have to realize how mentally exhausting it is to not just make something, but to be the the person, the advertising person, to promote it. It is so hard to do both, and we're trying our best. You know, it's interesting. Uh, like I, you know, I'm thinking we should start a collective of every, like artists or something. Somehow, like a hype machine for I don't even know if that was possible, but like we could call it hype machine or something. But like some kind of hub where everybody could cross promote each other's stuff so that everybody gets the eyes on the thing like i i feel like th- th- we need something like that because like we're we have to evolve at, with the times and the small artists like the the little guys are getting pushed out by big tech and all this stuff so we we need we need to do something somehow we have to like come together to fight back these algorithms and stuff so maybe we should off podcast we should talk about like putting together something like that that like really just like somehow some set of i don't know community that like helps promote everybody's stuff i don't know something to think about that's a really great idea especially if we make it that's the point of it to share other people's work because i noticed one thing that was a little discouraging to me the other day was i'm a part of a bunch of different art societies on facebook and i never had the time to be i've always kind of joined them but never really had a time to look at them and now that i have more time i'm kind of looking at them and a lot of them have these like show us what you're working on and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and because I'm 
I have a very specific process on when I show things and how I show things. I don't not necessarily always post on them, but I like to look at them and comment on them or just look at them. And, um, but I realized one thing that kind of poked out into my mind was I realized all these people, you know, that somebody will post that, Hey, show me what you're working on. And there'll be like 50 posts, but no one's commenting on each other's stuff. So it's like, Oh, it's just this thing where they're so excited to show their stuff. And they're not even looking at other the everybody else's stuff, you yep. know. So I'm almost like discouraged because I'm always like, oh, I want to show, I want to post on that and see what people think. But almost nobody says anything about the other posts. They're just like, oh, here's what I'm working on, and then they don't check back, or they want to check back and see if they got comments on their own posts. Yep. And which the the other mess up thing with that is too. It's like I try to like get promote my stuff through Reddit and things like that, and it's like half the time like you'll your posts will get deleted if it's you're posting your own artwork. But if the somebody else just made the same post, but it wasn't you, then it's allowed. And it's like, we're making it so hard for like artists and creatives to like promote their own stuff too. And it's like, it's a double-edged sword. I get it. You know, it's like everybody wants, everybody's trying to promote something like, but it's like, I feel like this is a major problem that we should come together to creatively think about because uh, it's, it's a big issue, man. Like I get discouraged all the time. It's like, man, you know, I just, I just really want people to see my stuff. And then it gets taken down because I'm self-promoting and it's like, shit, well, how the fuck am I supposed to promote? You know? Right. It's maddening. It's maddening, but we keep trucking along and we have hope and we're not going to stop. So that's, that's the thing to it. Oh, one thing I do want to give a shout out to, uh, before I forget is the network out TV. So I just can't thank out TV enough because not only are they an amazing um, LGBT uh, network in Canada that has quality programming, including our show, but <laughs> but they are great people. And it was so funny because when we were first dealing with them and we're talking, you know, we wanted to make sure I was getting advice from all of my friends in the industry about, you know, getting this contract and should, what should I be aware of? And they were all very, very leery about it. They were just like, beware everyone's out to get you these are networks they're not your friends take it just you know make sure you like to the t check get this contract to a lawyer blah 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 and so we're you know we are being careful but we also talked to the other people dragula who worked with out tv and they had nothing but good things to say they said they were fair people they were like real people reasonable especially extremely about, like, reasonable especially about content and they're honest just- yeah, we are honest people. You know, it's like uh, there's these stereotypes about Canadians, these positive stereotypes. But from our experience, these positive stereotypes are true. They were just genuine, down to earth, humble people who were completely honest and just so excited to put out something artistic. And the great part was, so we started writing. So they were like, okay, you know, we want you to send us as you're writing please so we can put our get our input in and we were terrified because all of our friends in the industry was like don't get discouraged they're gonna say no 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 to everything but you just have to keep trekking along and we were sending these scripts thinking okay we just wrote the most outrageous things thinking that they would be sent back and we'd have to tone it down or whatever mm-hmm. and they were like this is amazing we <laughs> love this wow yeah, you're pushing time, the wow. limits Every time we, we would send a script in, it was flabbergasting. The, the Philip uh, Webb was the main guy there who who really uh, brought this show to to uh, funded and everything and and made it exist. And we would send him the script, and then we'd be like, "Oh, cross your fingers!" And then he, he sent something back like, "Oh, you know, um, I don't have any comments. I just love it. Can't or wait for did, you to make it." 
or if you did have comments, they were very helpful. Anything that they needed to be changed or said, not even, and it's so cool. Every time he was like, I have a suggestion, but please don't make, this isn't, this isn't an order. This is a suggestion. And they made so much, they took extra care into letting us know that they didn't want to trample on our creative, on our creativity. That's freaking amazing. Can you imagine like a, a TV uh, you know, company network saying, oh, you know, just do whatever you want. And that then whenever they happen. asked us to change something, it was pertinent. It was actually yeah. helpful. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's true. We didn't yeah, make, we should we, mention this. Yeah, we agreed with them, I think, on everything. Yeah. So, uh, you know. And most people don't realize that to get a, a film or a show made, there's so many cooks in the kitchen that it's like there's really like the product, the end result, half the time is not is barely a semblance of what the original creators wanted it to be. And so for, for things to get made like this and for companies to operate that way, these are the companies and the artists and the creatives that we need to be supporting because we need to reinvent what it means to, to create because big Hollywood, all this, it's like, it's a nightmare, man. It is people just like, they care about the money. They don't care about the art. And that's why like, the industry and the movies coming out, it's like, it sucks because they're just trying to make money. They don't care about making good content. They don't care about the artistry. They just want, what, how can this make me money? So when when like people like us are like working at like lower levels and stuff, like this, this, is, this is what we should be. We should do our best to support each other. We should, as viewers, we should do our best to support and share. And like the viewers are the hype machine for this. And, and and you guys are so important when you view content and when you share things and when you comment and you engage with the content. And it's like, it's like really important. Realize that as a viewer, you have so much power. It's true. Thank couldn't, you. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, uh, and just once again, a shout out to LTV. People support that network. Um, they're a small network, but do what, whatever you can, if you can subscribe, if you need to subscribe to them, if you need to go, you know, normally you pirate, I get it. If normally you pirate a show because you can't afford it, don't do it to that network. Pay whatever they they are asking for because they are not, they are paying their workers and they're paying people like us very reasonably as much as they could afford. And they're so, bringing like some really important voices out to media that uh, don't get enough uh, uh we don't get hurt enough. So it's like, you know, um, they re they're really doing a, an important thing and they're not trying to make a million bucks. We did put in a, some gifts for them when we were writing the show. So in like the first couple of episodes, no, in the first episode or two, we had um, sexy shirtless men. Which That's is right. That was the one comment that, that Philip, uh, the, the, one of the executive producers said, it was like, oh yeah, I like the script. Um, say, um, you know, we really... <laughs> We really, uh, you know, what about some uh, some sexy shirtless men in there? Just because, you know, our audience well, yeah, really was, loved that. Well, it was really funny because we had a couple, he was referring to Sean. And uh, he was like, oh, could you guys have more sexy shirtless men because our audience? And I think he was just joking around. And we completely wrote in a sexy shirtless man or as many sexy shirtless men as possible. Yeah, just <laughs> to be funny, but also just to please them. Yeah. And then we ended up, even adding a character called this. <laughs> this uh, it's it's uh, the shirtless mailman played by Anthony Tadros. Yeah. I love that character. And, and yeah, to, you know, it was just sort of like, you know, a little bit of uh, sexiness in there to entice people. But it turned out, you know, so good. And we're going to have Anthony back on Anthony season Anthony was great. And I want to give out to, we haven't talked enough about her, although we're going to do... Um, Sado Trash Tales are about to put out Sado Trash Tales about her, but Foxy 
uh, a I want to say Foxy Lede because the character's name is Foxy Lede. But let me just say that Foxy was such an, a, a professional, but not just a professional, but like the hardest working person uh, that we had the pleasure to work with. Not only was she there with her lines learned, doing amazing, crazy, physical, um, like, mm. like stunt moves on her own. Like, you know, cause she's a very physical person. She's an amazing uh, performer, but and she had to stay in a cabinet almost the entire filming because she was a decapitated head. So what On a trooper. really hot days. What a trooper. I had to make this, this, this in the break room upstairs. I had to make like this, this cabinet where she could sort of like cram in there and have her head poking out into this like, weird machine on a hot day. Never complained, <laughs> never asked to leave, asked when the scene was over, asked if she needed to stay longer. Get this, on days that she wasn't working, she wanted to come in as a free PA just to help us out because she was so thankful for being on the production and she wanted to know more about the production. Wow. And then on top of all that, I have to tell people this, get this, this will blow your minds on how amazing Foxy is. So we had problems, you know, we, we, we love our cast and crew and we get why, but we were having problems with people leaving their, <laughs> um, their drinks and sodas, uh, empty soda cans and, and their empty plates after eating around the house. And so, I got angry and I wrote an angry like message on my eraser board saying, you know, we're your producers and are your directors. I mean, we're your producers and your writers. We're not the, the janitor. So please pick up after yourself. And I refuse to keep throwing away your trash. And she saw that, felt so bad that she came to me one day and she says, I want to do something for you, but you have to promise to let me do it without me telling you, because I feel like if I tell you, you're going to say no. And I was like, what? She goes, please, please. And uh, she's like, please. And so I was like, uh, you know, you've been so great. Sure. Whatever. What is it? What do you need to do? And she says, I'm going to clean your kitchen for you. <laughs> we were like, I was like, no, she's like too late. You made a promise. And I was like, no, you're, you're not, you're our actor. You're our coveted professional actress. You know, like you're not going to be cleaning our damn kitchen for us. And she's like, no, I liked, this will be good. And she's like, I feel bad that happened to you. Um, I want to do this for you. And she's like, and, and it's, it's something that I enjoy doing. I feel like you guys haven't had enough time. Um, this is the, the kitchen was basically the actual break room. So our kitchen was a place where everyone kind of gathered around and hung out while they're waiting for their parts. And um, we weren't always able to like completely clean it up the, before the next day. And she noticed that. So on one night she came in when we were not, because we had a film day and we were completely knocked out. She came in the middle of the night while we were sleeping and she stayed until daybreak cleaning our entire kitchen. Wow. That's right? amazing. I see. I, it's crazy because like I talked to her. She's she's the sweetest. Like just amazing. And I, I talked to her at the premiere and then uh, you know or the rap party. And she just like I told her it's like to to be able to like command the scene as just a fucking head on a table. Like it like she's she's like she's got the magic man and and to hear that like as on top of that like wow like what a what a wonderful person right it's like made me want to cry i just couldn't believe it it scared the hell out of my daughter though <laughs> mom the person in their kitchen <laughs> like what was happening last night <laughs> so shout out to foxy for being amazing and all the entire cast though really thank you guys we don't i know that um believe it or not when we post stuff it's all very strategic um 
I've kind of gone back and I start, I'm starting to do like starting out with the episode, the explanation of the episode. And then I'm trying to do a, a character uh, describing the characters as they're, they appear every now and then there's a break for something like to say to trash gels, but I'm trying to go in order now at, to add to, to make it easier for us. Cause we have so much bonus material and footage that before we were in the beginning, we were just kind of throwing things up and then we were losing track of what we already put up. And we don't know if, you know, when people go onto it, if it makes any sense. So I went back a couple of weeks ago and I'm starting to go in order now. So if we haven't mentioned you, we haven't thanked you, it seems like, you know, we haven't mentioned you yet. Believe me, everyone will be mentioned. Everyone will have their day, will be fully promoted. Every single person who has worked on this show, Even we good. are thankful. And our, our dog is in the show. Yeah. Dookie. This is Dookie. Dookie. He's actually the Duke of Earl. We just call him Dookie for short, even though he can be a little shit sometimes. And he's in a few scenes. So stay tuned. <laughs> so as you guys talk about the the whole cast and the crew and everybody that came through to make this happen, it, it's so cool because before all of this, we're, you know, we're already just a big creative family like an extended creative family and all of us are these weirdos doing our own thing and it was so cool that you guys presented presented a catalyst for us all to come together and and create something together and that's what i want to tell the audience is like if you're a creative person you're trying to do something um i'm sure you have creative friends and the best way to get to even if you don't have money or a budget team up with your creative friends because i guarantee you you've gravitated towards uh a group of people that have skills that round out what you need to do to get stuff made. So I think I can't stress this enough that community in creation is so important. So if you guys want to do something out there, get out there, find your friends and say, man, you know what? Like, let's just make this and just do it. And, and then let everybody blossom and like add their own creative spin to it because that's what's really going to spice it up and make it something really magical. Very true. Uh, one, uh, some people that I forgot to mention because I don't want to leave anyone out is the people who are seem to always be forgotten, which are the editors. So, um, this, you know, we had uh, Casey Lindley, uh, Nathan Noyes, uh, Meg, Meg Chase, Chase um, and Meg Chase is also the producer of the digital, the very, very famous and amazing digital drag show hosted by Bitch Pudding. Um, and Brent is now, uh, Brent, our VP is also oh, yeah. working with them. So, but these people have really hooked us up with prices, you know, uh, put in so many endless hours of work to, to help edit this film on a crazy schedule, having many sleepless nights. And they are the, um, you know, un, un, you know, the heroes that are behind the scenes. And we don't want anyone to think that we forgot about them. These mm -hmm. people are amazing. And uh, we didn't mention Adam, but because he had a whole Sato Trash Tales. That's right, right. But our uh, sound designer and special effects and composer, and composer um, Adam Smith. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about him because he has a whole episode of Sato Trash Tales. If you go to our Sato Psychiatrist um, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sato Psychiatrist. Or if you go to our Instagram, which is Sato Psychiatrist. You can go in and see a series that we've started called Sado Trash Tales, where we are getting the inside tea from everyone who's worked on the show, um, which we still are excited to get your SIG and Randy. Yeah, we got, yeah, we got <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll get those. Uh, we'll talk about it after this, and I'll, get, I'll definitely get that out to you guys. Um, but yeah, you guys have to watch the Sado Tales. It's so... 
like we've touched on a broad overview of of the show itself, but to hear every particular person in uh, in their own aspect and how their involvement and their take from it is a really magical thing to see because like there's so much that went into the show. And it's like, for me, it like makes it that much better to see each individual person's like spin and, you know, experience. So, uh, yeah, well, I think you, did, you mentioned pretty much where everybody can find all the Sado stuff on online. Uh, so again, it's Sado Psychiatrist. It's on Amazon Prime. And if you guys can spread the word, share it, like it, watch it, all the things like you guys, like, it's it's a it's a labor of love and it deserves to find its audience for sure. Um, and then yeah, do you have anything else? Oh yeah. So if you guys want to help us out at Amorgo, the extra mile, we do have for sale um, sadopsychiatrist pins, and they're very wonderfully designed by Disasterina, and they're awesome. And um, but also we are trying to get enough money to make a sadopsychiatrist T-shirt. So we have those on pre-sale right now. We haven't for not a discount for a discount. So we haven't made quite enough yet to make the order. Um, but um, if you guys want to go in, if you want your own sadopsychiatrist shirt to show that, um, and we have sadopsychiatrist stickers too. Yeah, we're getting we're pumping up the merch, and to get all of that, it's very simple and very easy. Just go to sadopsychiatrist.com. Awesome. And you go. <laughs> Uh, so, and then where can, where can, uh, people find you individually online? Uh, Disasterina, just search Disasterina. You'll find me everywhere. I'm easy to find. I am not as easy. No, just kidding. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, on Instagram, I'm Ave Rose 13. That's A-V-E-R-O-S-E-1-3 on, um, what else do I have? <laughs> That's, a, that's the main thing. If you go to that, there's links to everything else. Like if you want to go to Facebook, then it's facebook.com slash Ave Rose Arch. Oh, what about your uh, uh, Patreon? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. It's really important. It's because it's a new. Sorry, there's like a, a gnat flying around and our dog is obsessed with it. <laughs> um, I just created a Patreon and it's patreon.com slash Ave Rose Art. A-V-E-R-O-S-E-A-R-T. And I know it's really weird. Like, did you know that I've tried to search? It's so hard because, like, I like I wanted to go to Sig and Ranny's Patreon. And if you put it in to the search, it doesn't come up with anybody. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. You can't find I, I put my own name in. It doesn't come up. You actually have to go and put in patreon.com slash thing, which sucks because you're logged out. So... It's super annoying. It's a little tricky, but don't get disturbed if you go to a Patreon. You can't find it right away because it is, it's there. It's there. So just it's use just, the link uh, and and then just, sorry, you have to log back in again. Because mm -hmm. if you use the link, you're not logged in anymore. And you actually have to use the link and then log back in. I know it's annoying. It's just one little extra step. Um, starting as low as $3 a month, you will have access to videos on how I make stuff, um, which I never post on Instagram. I might do, I might show phases but I never show how I make anything. That's always been something that I've been very shy to share. But if you want to find out more, I've been posting a lot on there. Right on. And Disasterina, you have a variety show coming up. Oh, Ooh, shit. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, everybody doing these digital drag things. I'm like, I'm going to do one of those too. So um, 
But I wanted to do something, you know, I'm always about doing something a little bit different. So I wanted to do something that's a little more of a variety show than a, a just drag. I think about half of the performers on there are uh, drag performers and the other half are, uh, there's uh, Ivy Rose, who's a uh, drag king. Oh, I guess that's a drag performer, but there's a, there's a, like a we singer. We have comedians, comedian, we have a, a singer, there's uh, a, an aerialist. aerialist sorry. And so it's <laughs> called Zestrina Cybernetic Circus and just, I don't know, it's it's going to happen. The first episode is going to be on the 8th, uh, Monday the 8th. And you can just go to my YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash disasterina. Again, really, or just go to YouTube and search disasterina, you'll find it. You can follow um, the Instagram, which is disaster, which is the cybernet, is it cybernetic circus? Cybernetic circus. Don't ask me how to spell it. So cybernetic circus on Instagram for more information or just to keep updated on who the performers are going to be. Um, Sig and Randy are going to be part of that. But we have a stellar lineup. We even have uh, puppeteers. We have some cool puppets, a pu mm -hmm. cool puppet show. So we're just going to try to make it um, as interesting and weird as possible. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Randy and I's submission is it's going to be disturbing. That's all I could say. Hey. <laughs> so you definitely don't want to miss it. Nice. Also, we're kind of, I'm really excited about this. Wait, have you talked about your um, your festival yet? Uh, my Reverentism Film Festival? Uh, no, yeah. but I guess it's a good opportunity. Uh, I'm also doing a, a Reverentism Film Fest that is uh, June 21st is the submission deadline. And then I'm going to premiere all of the shorts live on Twitch. Uh, at, I'll, I'll figure out the date after all the submissions. But if you want to enter, like basically the only stipulation is the 10 minutes is the like the length, the max length. Uh, there's really no minimum. Uh, just show us something fucking weird you've never seen before. And if you want to, like I, I, I like to get like weird and philosophical about how life makes no sense. Uh, and if you want to explore that theme, that's a bonus. But really, just show us something weird that we haven't seen before. Sorry, <laughs> he wanted to get down to chase the fly, oh. and that was a bad. Can't make him shut up. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I'm super excited about what I'm going to turn in for that because I want, because it could be anything. So that's like super exciting. I'm like thinking in terms of like the old liquid television. Nice. Yeah. That's, yep. I love it. Just whatever weird. I'm like, oh, can I do like, can I do like a weird stop motion with my art or something? Like, I'm just trying to think like really outside the box, like something unexpected. Yeah. Expected, but, you know. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, I honestly, I, we, we could probably do another episode of this too, like and, and explore different topics and stuff. So we I might have you guys back and we'll do that. Um, but uh, maybe we can like get some user questions like, and then uh, next time we have you guys on, we'll go through like questions submitted, which would be, I think it'd be really fun. Uh, we'll talk about how to uh, get that maybe organized. Um, but yeah, anything else you guys like to add here at the end? Oh, nothing. I was just going to say, um, we really should do an episode of our experiences on reality shows, though. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and then <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, let's do that one on Skype, because like, so that I don't have to not, like, laugh at everything you guys say, or it'll cut off your voice. <laughs> Thanks, Zoom. <laughs> um, yeah. That we possibly could, so we did. I just don't want anyone to feel like we were left out. You know, we might have not mentioned uh, this person or that person but um so sorry the pas yeah you guys we had some very hardworking pas um you know i want to say specifically um uh jeff and 
Jeff Cooper Reynolds, Jeff and uh, Cooper Lorelai, um, because they in the beginning we had them we had uh, PAs who were actually doing it for free because they wanted to be there. Later on, things got hectic and we didn't want people. We we just had to grab people who 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 could do it, and we you know we were paying for them and we were willing to pay for them. But but and we wanted to thank all of them because even the money that we paid wasn't you know they still put in way more work than they were getting paid. And mm-hmm. we were so thankful for all of them, but seriously, uh, to, to, to Jeff and to, uh, Cooper, um, the fact that you guys worked, I mean, Cooper, uh, Lorelai built the boxing ring in episode three, three for free. And we, we actually are trying to save up money to, 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 to pay them, but they, they didn't ask for payment. They were like, you know, don't worry about it, but we're, we we don't feel right about that. As soon as we get money, we will be giving that person some money because they put in so much freaking money. So the PAs, I don't want to say that I didn't want to leave those guys out. So thank you for all of you guys. Oh, yeah, takes a takes a whole team, man. Yep. Thanks for having us on, Sig. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. And yes, we definitely I want to do that episode with us talking about all of our reality TV experiences. That is going to be a fun one. Um, and yeah, so check out, check uh, out every, all parties involved on the interwebs and share it, show your friends again, Sado Psychiatrist on Amazon prime. Uh, yeah. Six full episodes. Oh. Been a, yeah. Amazing. Trashy I, show. What's that? Can I say one thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, I do want to mention the fact that how important it is to take this pandemic and the stay at home order seriously. Um, I noticed that I have a lot of friends that I really care about and I love and, and they're like, oh yeah, we're totally taking the stay at home seriously. And then, but yet they go and they, they, they still like, will see their one friend or, you know, go and do like a business meeting in person and, and in their minds, they still think that they're doing the stay at home orders. You know what doing the stay at home orders are this Sig and Ranny are the closest people to me in the whole wide world. They're my family and I haven't seen them since the stay-at-home orders. You know why? Because we don't want to give them or them to give us anything that we are going to then transfer to the rest of the world. That's how serious it is to not be able to see, look at this, we're conducting this on Zoom because of that, because we're being that careful. Um, And it hurts us because we want to see them. And it's not that we don't think that they're safe or that we're not safe. We're all practicing as safe as we can, but it's never 100%. And as soon as you say, oh, well, I know that they're safe and I know that I'm safe. So I might as well just have that one one meeting with that person. As soon as you let that one slip up, that's how that's going to be a domino effect to where you begin to slip up more and more and more. And that's how it's going to spread. Yeah. So problem problem is, is nobody knows who's safe. That's it's really that's it. Be be asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. So I'm not here to I'm not trying to say you're a good person or you're a bad person. I'm just trying to, by example, to show you guys how serious we are taking it, t- taking this and the, the measures that we are going through. And it's not easy for us. So if we're doing it, you know, think about that. That's a good note. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. This has been a blast. And I uh, can't wait to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.